Hi, I'm Fred ah! McClure. You might know me from such educational videos as How to Do Your Laundry. No, I'm, uh, I'm Zach McGowan. Uh, you might know me from, I don't know, Shameless, Black Sales, The Hundred. Uh, you know, I was once on Sesame Street back in the day. So I don't know if you watch that. Uh, but you're listening to Neil Before Park. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Sparky, too. Hello, and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that was not recorded in front of a live studio audience because that's scary. I'm your host, Craig, and. Oh, there's someone at the door. Hopefully, that's my guests. Hi, honey, I'm home. Well, it is my guests. And first up, that voice you just heard, he is a body of wires and blood. And bone. It's Aaron. I'm better assembled than that, but fair enough. <laughs> well, we'll go with it anyway. That just turned into a horror show. I'm freaking out now. They didn't do that, <laughs> but they could have done. They could have. And next up, my next guest is the expert on the ship of Theseus. It's Kat. <laughs> Hello, I am your Greek neighbor here with all the Greek things, all the philosophy, all the thought experiments. We're here to get down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that would be considered casually racist, but then we are to kind of talking about old sitcoms, so valid? Racist? No, no. Uh, the stereotyping perhaps, but also I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Anyway, that's spoiler territory. Let's leave that for later. <laughs> a little bit of profiling. We'll stretch to that, perhaps. A yeah. Bit for... She's Greek, so must know about philosophy. <laughs> Aaron's a machine, so must know about machines. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but in case you couldn't figure out from that exchange, we are here to talk about WandaVision, the first entry in the Disney Plus era of Marvel television. So WandaVision is a show that was on for eight weeks for nine episodes and I've already talked about it for eight weeks over nine episodes so I'm here talking about it again but this is me regurgitating my old jokes and my old stuff and possibly coming up with new stuff because it's more of a reflective thing but before we get into all that we have to start with no spoiling so Kat why don't you go first what did you think of the show with no spoilers no spoilers I really enjoyed it. I'm very glad that the first entry of the Marvel 
shows was something that they did some new things. They tried it. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. But on the whole, I found myself very engrossed in the mystery, especially early on. I was just loving some of the creepy stuff that was hidden underneath the comedy. Before we got any answers, I kind of loved that kind of period. First three episodes, such a good setup. Overall, without getting super into it, I would say it resolves how I expected, which is neither good nor bad. It's just what I expected. And I would say if this is the standard, because I went into this kind of without any expectations and was pleasantly surprised. But if this is what we're looking at with the Marvel shows coming up, I'm here for it. And also, as a side note, I enjoyed having something to look forward to every Friday. The weekly aspect of it was quite fun. And it kept us talking and it kept the mystery longer. If we'd binged this, it would have been like an afternoon evening's worth of <laughs> entertainment. But I thought they did really well releasing it every week. So I'm looking forward to what they come up with next, actually. We'll get into the non-controversy around the release schedule and how they chose to release it because that's something oh, that yeah, weirdly yes. got attached to this show and shouldn't have I think but we'll get there yeah so Aaron what's your spoiler free take I really wanted to love this show the promise of the new style of breaking the superhero genre was so alluring and fortunately that was the bit that I did like so I'm, I'm pleased to say that Seeing the sitcoms was most enjoyable, and any time I think Marvel have stepped outside of the basic setup, I think they've generally succeeded. Unfortunately, I got nothing out of the main villains at all. I, I didn't really enjoy any of that side of it, and therefore, I think, unfortunately, the ending was never going to be something that I could like because of that. So that'll be a key part of what I'll chat with. But anytime we were in the hex, I did enjoy it. And anytime we came out of the hex, I lost interest. But the fact that the hex stuff was the new stuff, this new way of doing superhero breaking the genre, the fact that that bit worked for me is so pleasing because it shows, as Cass says, they can actually do something else and it's definitely worth seeing. So I hope for more of that in anything they do in the future. Cool. I really enjoyed the show throughout. I thought it was great. It kept me watching, kept me guessing, kept me speculating, kept me hooked on the characters. I found the ending very underwhelming because it didn't deliver on what they'd promised in terms of the setup, they abandoned some elements that should have been used towards the end. And it was just a bit of a messy ending. In a lot of ways, it becomes that third act Marvel movie situation where oh yeah, it's just people hitting each other and there's a boring villain and there's stuff happening and we're just waiting for it to end. And while the spectacle can be entertaining by itself, it's not what I wanted from this show. I felt like it should have ended in a more cerebral way. We'll definitely get to that because it is a big part of what we're here to talk about but generally I loved the show and it gave more insight into characters that really hadn't had a lot of work done before this point that's about all I can say without spoiling it we're ready to launch into the spoiler section and really dig deep into this weird show sure cool 
We'll be back after these messages. The all-new Toastmate 2000 by Stark Industries. Forget the past. This is your future. Let's just start with the overall setup. So we talked about how sitcoms are a part of this. We've been running through eras of sitcoms throughout the show, having a bit of fun with that, starting off with the 50s and working our way up. So what did we think of that? I actually quite like the idea of the evolution of how we consume and react to television being a part of the setup of the show and the way that you had different events happen as the eras went on. So it's now acceptable to have a pregnancy because we're in the 70s or it's now acceptable to have depression because we're in the modern era, things like that. So I liked how they played around with that, although I found the sitcom jokes to be less than funny because they just weren't funny to me by themselves. But beyond that, I thought it was a really interesting setup and the way they played with it and the way they brought in the characters and developed them through that as well really interested me throughout. I very much enjoyed how every episode was filmed differently as we went through the eras, especially the first episode starts off with the Marvel logo slowly changing from what we know, like the 3D stuff to like a 2D 50s logo. Immediately that kind of set a tone and I was just very amused, very here for it. Okay, they're properly going for it. And the visual effects were different in each episode, era appropriate. So that was quite fun. I do have to say that like I kind of mentioned in the spoiler free section that what intrigued me the most, I will agree with you that the sitcom jokes weren't amazing all the time. I did laugh. I wasn't just stone-faced watching the whole thing. I did laugh during quite a bit of it, but perhaps not as much as they wanted us to. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's 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 okay. So as I kind of mentioned in the spoiler-free section, the bit that kind of had me the most intrigued and the most interested during the sitcom bits were the kind of creepy underlying mystery that belied everything else. You know, in the 50s episode, you had the boss and his wife. You started to see that they were held captive. But what's going on? Who's holding them captive? Why are they repeating the same phrase over and over again? And that sort of thing. And as we went on those first three, four episodes, however long it goes before we break the fourth wall, as it were, and come out of the hex, those were the bits that I was like, ooh, yes. So the interesting evolution of what you can and can't show or what was okay at the time and what wasn't. Very interesting, the 60s episode and the fashion, obviously, how that changed and having Wanda in a bunny outfit and all of that. And then later on, just like, yeah, the the costumes and all of that, brilliant, the hair, brilliant evolution, so well done, and the filming techniques as well. I was a little disappointed that they skipped the 90s, but also, I guess, the bits of the 80s and the 2000s that they did. The 90s were a weird time, and so I don't think that they could have gotten much out of doing, like, a what would they have done, like, Full House, <laughs> which is also quite tonally similar and imagery-wise quite similar to Malcolm in the Middle, maybe. And so I understand, but it was kind of like, oh, they skipped the 90s. Okay. I would have thought it would be Friends, but then there is no real major family sitcom in the 90s that people know yeah. as well as other stuff. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I get that and it's okay. 
but it, it was kind of like a noticeable like, oh, okay, yeah, fine. I will agree with Aaron in that as we came out of the hex and that kind of pulled us out of the sitcom TV action, I didn't hate it, but also it was just kind of like, oh man, we were building momentum and there was an atmosphere that we were into and then suddenly, oh, there we go, back into very run-of-the-mill Marvel military organization, lots of computer and machinery in tents, <laughs> <laughs> guys in Kevlar suits just looking menacing, and people using scientific terms that don't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, fine. But can we go back to the sitcom stuff, please? Thank you. So yeah, I would say just had such a good time with all the evolving sitcoms, just in terms of seeing what they would do, how they would emulate and copy, but also make it their own. That was the most interesting part of the show. Yeah, I think the fact that they were so committed to the bit during the sitcom stuff was the joke rather than the jokes themselves. So I was kind of laughing along with how invested the actors seemed to be in what they were doing, even though it was kind of outdated storytelling. And to your point about the outside the hex stuff, I do agree that it was very kind of standard traditional stuff. Although having Darcy and Jimmy essentially be audience surrogates writing their theories on the wall and trying to puzzle it all out. I really like the commentary on the audience that's watching Marvel are just like, yeah, we know this is what you're doing. These people are you. They're watching a TV show made by us to mine it for clues. And I like that aspect of it. I don't think it was as interesting as it could have been as a kind of external situation, but I really liked that part of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there for sure. I did like the evolving eras from the perspective you mentioned, which was that I think it gave everybody something to watch. That principle that whenever you watch a Disney film, there's something for the adults and there's something for the kids. In this case, if you knew about evolving sitcoms, then you could appreciate that, but you didn't need to. So if you were an older audience member, you'd have seen all those sitcoms and you'd get something. But if you were a, a younger member of the audience, you would have just known, oh yeah, people used to watch this stuff and you, you didn't need to. So I like the fact that they thought enough about it and it, it was in there for that enjoyment, but you didn't need it. In fact, I, without meaning to, almost did a sort of a, an experiment along those lines because I watched this with my partner who has not watched any of the Marvel offerings, film or TV. And I thought, if this is all about sitcoms and if they're going to sell this, I wonder if it's accessible to somebody completely new. And it turned out that it, it generally was. She was really happy to watch. She wasn't in the end watching it just because, oh, Aaron's watching it. And to be a good partner, I have to sit with him. And that was a big danger with a niche or a genre show. But she was actually bought into the mystery. The whole connection between Wonder and Vision was interesting to her. She then was going to really suffer from the same thing that we've said here because she has no interest in seeing random evil guy attack them because he's evil. Because it 
sword meant nothing to her. And frankly, there wasn't enough to some of those characters to really pull her in. So she was even further invested in the sitcom part. But I think that just goes to show what was said about the evolving eras of sitcom was so interesting that it, it had that ability to pull people in. We both also agreed with you on the jokes, although I found it interesting to go online after and see that some of the people on the internet quoted things like, oh, I loved it when the water came through the ceiling like it was a water brook. I lost my sh- then and thought oh that's interesting i didn't find that hilarious but it showed to me that there was enough in those jokes to catch some people which i found intriguing but it it was very noticeable when we were watching it that we liked the in the first episode or the first two episodes where the boss comes to dinner there's at one point it turns to farce and it's fast done well enough that that was actually amusing. And it seems that, as people that have studied this won't be surprised to, to learn, farce has survived the test of time, whereas the straight jokes from the era didn't. And I think Laura was expecting to be amused by the jokes, rather than it being, oh, isn't that nice? They did jokes from that era that didn't grab her. I think she was expecting to be entertained by that. Rather, it seems a bit more of an intellectual piece to go, oh, yeah, those were the jokes from back in the day. Yeah, they're technically accurate. That wasn't enough to really connect with. So she did connect with it. That was interesting. I do think that the whole sitcom thing made it accessible to a much wider audience. And as I say, the fact that there were bits in it for everybody, if you were younger, older, you could gain something different from each part showed that that whole sitcom part was very rich and well-structured and there was a lot to it to grab people. So I totally agree with Kat. That is the best part of this without challenge. Yeah, they weren't mocking the sitcom concept. They were playing it completely straight. They were writing it and performing it as if it was a real version of that rather than we're going to wink at the audience and laugh about this thing that everyone kind of finds ridiculous now. And I think that's the difference, because I've seen other shows attempt this, Legends of Tomorrow, for example, they did an episode where mm-hmm. they went inside Friends and they went inside Downton Abbey and they went inside Star Trek. And what they did was they highlighted, here's the things we all find ridiculous about these shows, but we love about them anyway, remember these bits fondly. So actually doing an episode that is essentially a sitcom episode. So the first episode is about the boss coming to dinner and they're not prepared for it. And that's the plot. That's the main thrust of the narrative. Whereas in the background, you've got the mystery. Sorry, side note. How impressive is it that Aaron's partner has not seen a single Marvel offering (laughs) in this day and age, in the year of our Lord 2021? (laughs) Uh, Kudos, honestly. (laughs) I think that's difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah, well, he always just comes to the cinema to see them with us, don't you? Well, yeah, I've not had to drag her anywhere, and I think that has been a relief for her, so that's good. But (laughs) Yeah, I'll definitely agree with you. They they were very respectful with their sitcom offerings, but I do wonder if there was room to update some of the jokes to make it a bit more accessible without losing the boss comes to dinner and we're unprepared. Because the farce seemed to work to modern eyes. So I wonder if the rest of the jokes could have been updated because if the farce was accessible without breaking that faithfulness, does that not suggest that some of the other things could also have been 
updated without losing that respect. I actually don't know. I could be up to face with the modern writer and say, you wish, we wished, but no. But I, I am left wondering. Yeah, it must be hard to do if you think about it, because you're writing something that's reverent to an earlier period of television that you will have had no experience mm-hmm. in writing. But people at the time would have just written that, because that's just the yeah. way they did it. Whereas now you're trying to recreate that without it being obvious that you're trying to recreate that, which must be a real challenge. Oh, I don't die. And I want to make sure that I'm not trying to say I thought any of it was bad. It just left me wondering. In fact, I say the opposite. It was the best part of the show for me, for us, actually. Yeah, the humour didn't land most of the time, but that's just because I don't find a lot of things funny, really. So the fact that I didn't laugh at a sitcom joke doesn't mean that it was bad. It just means that I didn't laugh at it, but... When I wasn't laughing, I was wondering what else was going on anyway, so I was always engaged. I think it's very much what you said earlier, that the joke wasn't necessarily the sitcom jokes. It was, look at how well we're doing this. Look at how well we are duplicating old storytelling, old camera techniques, old visual effects, even old jokes like old style comedy from decades ago look at how well we're doing this. And that was what was funny to me rather than the actual like, oh, you know, we're the the boss is coming to dinner and we're unprepared. I find it difficult to find the humor in that, (laughs) but it's the 1950s, you know? So I'm like, okay, I guess in the 50s, that's like an impossible, oh no, now what do we do sort of thing, which in 2021, it's a little difficult to empathize with that kind of... (laughs) predicament you know especially because when would you have your boss over for dinner (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that's not happening even outside of that i just just wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) although i do remember laughing at one joke it was the chicken where she burned it and then she cast another spell and then it turned into eggs i was like oh that was funny i don't know why that made me laugh but it just did i just found it amusing I think it was her reaction to it. It's like, oh, too much. Oh, too little. You know, I think that made me laugh. And some of the magic act stuff actually made me laugh. Especially when she turned the piano into cardboard. And it's like, that was my grandmother's piano. Yeah, those were actually pretty good. The jokes around the magic performance in the neighborhood gazebo and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was actually probably my favorite scene or sequence from the pure kind of sitcom bits. I think the, the other memory I have of laughing is when Dottie asks her husband, does this I can't remember what it is, does this whatever it is make me look fat? And then the power cuts out and he's like, oh thank god because <laughs> he doesn't have to answer the question In fact, that guy made me laugh more than almost anybody, whatever his name was the neighbour with the moustache, I forget his name Oh yeah, oh my god what a face, that guy with the moustache <laughs> absolutely glorious yeah. <laughs> We said on the other podcast that we were looking forward to the 90s because he had a David Schwimmer vibe about him, so he could... <laughs> Really ross it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could have done that. Didn't happen. Missed opportunity? Question mark. Of course, we still have the secret episode that's not happening. That might be it. The 90s. <laughs> we just released the 90s episode. Probably not. <laughs> there is no secret episode. <laughs> it was a recording error. People made assumptions. There was theories, which is what we'll come on to next, I guess. So we've got the mystery So they teased the mystery throughout. We got a brief sense of it in the first episode and then with every episode it ramped up until they started answering questions. For me, I found that the answers came just at the point I needed them rather than dragging it out. It never got to the point where I was like, come on, hurry up, tell us something. I always felt like 
it was deliberately structured in that way. So by the fourth episode, they dumped a lot of information on us and then moved on to the next thing. And then in the first two episodes, it was the suggestion that just something weird was going on externally that we're not aware of. But did you guys find it effective as a mystery? I'll agree with you in that they gave us answers when we needed them. I don't know that I would have dragged it out any longer myself if I were writing this. If anything, on a couple of occasions, perhaps over-explain some things where it's like, okay, do we need an entire episode that's just the S.H.I.E.L.D. people running around? Eh, could have probably done without some of that. But I would say kind of one complaint, maybe two complaints I have, but they're all kind of linked, is teasing something and then yanking it away and being like, nope, that's not what that was. Never mind. So like, I think all of us kind of loved that Agatha all along theme song and reveal, you know, like here's Catherine Hahn being a badass evil witch. Yes, thank you. Perfect casting. I love her. But then it wasn't Agatha all along. It was Wanda all along. (laughs) Actually, Agatha wasn't doing anything towards keeping the people of the town captive or even the, the reality bending. I thought that was kind of what they were going for in that last bit of that episode was hey, you know, even Wanda's like, what's going on? It's because this lady was doing shenanigans and changing reality and making up things that don't exist. And then literally, I think in the next episode, it's like, yeah, no, it wasn't. (laughs) It was Wanda. Agatha was there because she was like, how's she doing that? I want to do that. Some things were Agatha all along, I suppose. Some (laughs) things, not everything. (laughs) Yeah, like what was Agatha all along? At the same time, I'm glad it was Wanda all along. That's what I wanted out of this story. I wanted this to be, and like you could tell from pretty much the first episode, that this whole thing was about Wanda processing grief. That wasn't necessarily the massive mystery, right? It was quite clear, I think, that's like, hey, Vision is dead. All of this is Wanda trying to hold on to some sense of having a normal, quote unquote, life. So none of that was the mystery, but coming in and saying, ooh, it was this, and then being like, psych, it wasn't this. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm glad that it wasn't someone pulling the strings on Wanda, because that would have just, I mean, kind of touching on what Aaron said earlier about the villains in this are just not great. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm glad that the solution to everything was just this woman's had everything taken from her and she reached a breaking point. And it turns out she's actually really powerful and that can cause some shenanigans, some reality bending, mind controlling shenanigans. Whoops. (laughs) But it's kind of an expected whoops because we've seen Wanda. She's never had control over her powers and that's always been her problem. So seeing that reach its natural point of if you absolutely lose everything and everyone, won't there come a point where you break? That's human. And what happens if you also have superpowers that can do what Wanda can do? That's the question that the show asks. So I would say, yeah, could do without that confrontation with the sword people. (laughs) But as far as the mystery is concerned, I thought it was handled pretty well. In terms of what they took away or suggested and then didn't deliver on, I was never actually dissatisfied by any of the answers because I do feel like they were relevantly linked to 
everything that was going on, it was relevantly linked to what Wanda was going through, what she was dealing with. And when the answers ultimately proved to be more simple than people thought they were, when the trailers came out, my first assumption is she created this world and then you got little teases of maybe she didn't. And then they just tell you, oh no, she did. It was your first theory. So that's fine. Go with that. And then you get the reason for why that happened and how that happened. And that really worked for me. I think they answered everything to my satisfaction. And there are things that were theorised by people all over the place and then they talk about how they didn't deliver on these things. And I think in some cases people are starting to judge the show and what it isn't rather than what it is, which is completely unfair to me. I think that what it gave us is worthy of analysis in itself without thinking, oh, it's not fair. How come they didn't give us Reed Richards or Mephisto or whatever else people were conjuring up in terms of what they suggested? I think there are weaknesses in what they told us. I think the whole Agatha thing needed a lot of work, for example. But beyond that, I think everything they told me was internally consistent and that was enough for me. We'll definitely get to more of that in terms of what that all means. And there's one particular one that will be an interesting discussion. You've brought up probably three different points from my notes here, so I'll headline them and you can tell me which one you actually want to talk about. The first one is the type of mystery was a mistake I made and that was actually a darkness that I brought with me into watching this, but it was very interesting when I realised at episode eight what type of mystery it was and how I'd been wrong, how I could go back and get more out of the earlier stuff. The second one I'd pick up on that one of Kat's points, actually, which was the Agatha reveal all along. I think I agree with Craig. I don't think there was a psych that wasn't Agatha after all. I just don't think they gave you enough information to judge. They said stuff was Agatha all along, and then some bits of it weren't. And as Craig says, it was a bit of both. But I will say that for me, the Agatha all along was a big spoiler that I did not enjoy any part of. The example of the piano into cardboard was actually a really big disappointment for me. So when they revealed that not everything was Agatha, it was Agatha was just causing all of the problems with what Wanda's created. I was like, yeah, okay. I can accept that, but it still detracted too much from Wanda for my tastes. And then, in fact, what the last one is Cat's point on bringing stuff in and then yoinking it back out. For me, the biggest example of that was Pietro, because that twist is purely to hit the audience and I hate that even when I learned what type of mystery it really was and I realized I acknowledged my mistake I still hated what they did with Pietro because I don't think it had anything to do with that type of mystery so I'm happy to go into any of those three points you want to chat or you can say nah I've heard enough of you clear off up to you Well, let's hear about the mystery you thought it was. I'm okay. compelled by that. The assumption I made back as far as episode one was completely incorrect, and I acknowledge that it was my problem, and that was that the type of mystery was one that the audience could solve by, as you say, with Darcy and, and I've forgotten the FBI guy's name because I'm rubbish at character names, but... Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy and Darcy were trying to solve the problem on their little glass board and you said oh yeah they're like the audience doing that and that's what I thought I was I thought we could do that if we just wrote things down and and studied it and, and went back and forwards 
And I was starting to get really disappointed as we were moving through the episodes when I was presumably showing my own ignorance that I couldn't work anything out. And it was really bothering me. And maybe it was a hit to my ego and that was what I couldn't stand. <laughs> but when I got to episode eight and I realized, oh, it's not that sort of mystery. The only person that can solve this mystery is Wanda because she's the only one that has the information. She's the only one that could tell you that the toaster blinking light was the blinking light on the Stark bomb because we've not seen that yet. So we cannot solve that. What does that mean? We could have done the Hydra one, but again, we still didn't have necessarily all the information because we didn't see the Hydra experimentation. It was only hinted at. Now, I, I'll say I brought that darkness with me. I assumed it was a mystery I could solve. And I feel like I was led down that path a little bit by Jimmy and Darcy trying to work it out. So I felt like the show was saying to me a bit, you can solve this if you're just a bit clever. And they maybe didn't mean that. And I read something into that, but I went right into that maze and I felt really bad about that until, as I say, it was revealed. And then, you know, oh, it's only a wonder mystery. This is more of a theme piece. It's an emotional piece. You just have to go with the flow and understand that Wanda's emotions will be revealed to you when Wanda realizes what they are. And I thought, oh, it's that type of show. But I think what I would have felt better about is if they'd have shown that to me a bit more early on with their presentation of themes. Now, equally, both of you could come on and say they did and you were stupid. And I'd have to say, fair enough, I give in. <laughs> but I don't think they did. I think they took me down the investigation route first maybe even just because i'm used to that from the previous marvel shows maybe that's been more the style and therefore i shouldn't have assumed that for that reason but it was a difficult thing to get it in episode eight nonetheless i think no i think that was deliberate i think they wanted us to think that we could solve the mystery because it kept us talking really? about it it kept the internet abuzz with stuff so that's why there was all little teases of things and then there were some theories that spun out that they probably couldn't have predicted. But there was also a lot in there that people could directly link to comic references and things like that. For example, when Pietro calls the kids little demon spawn, because in the comics that's exactly what they are. That automatically draws a line towards Mephisto, if you know that story. And then people were drawing that conclusion. So I think they were deliberately doing that. And whether that's overly and sinisterly manipulative or not, is certainly up for debate. I didn't really have an issue with it. I was fine with not having questions answered in certain ways, because I was happy to just go with it. I was thinking about things as I was going and coming up with my own suppositions that were ultimately all proven false, mm. by and large, but I was okay with it because what I got was fine in itself. I think when you said the words, it was internally consistent and that was enough for you, that triggered something in my head as well. And I thought, yeah, it wasn't really enough for me at the start. But then when I got to episode eight and I understood it was more of an emotional piece, then I made my peace with it, which is my own battle to fight. But I'm slightly bothered by those references that are blatantly Easter eggs for those people that have read the comics. Because if you try and tell somebody a fundamental of the show, which is you will or will not be able to work this out by using references that only those people in that niche part of the audience who have read the comics 
then you're using a language that most of us can't understand. So we come back into my problem. I don't know that I was led into that right type of mystery from the start. And I couldn't have been if I was reliant on comic book knowledge. Again, I can't say it's all that way, but you're almost talking me into the show purposefully leading me away, which is what I believe the whole casting of Pietro was. And I never, ever made my peace with that. The show saying to me, ha ha, I'm cleverer than you and I defeated you is something that was a very bitter taste in my mouth. And I don't know why that ever could be considered a good thing. So I'm not saying it was all that way. I certainly felt that way for Pietro. And you're talking me into it being that way for the type of mystery. But maybe you'll undo that later on. Well, none of the comic references go anywhere. They never lead to anything. So it's not that, oh, you must know about Mephisto from the comics to understand what the kids are and things like that. The show doesn't ever really tell you what they are or where they came from or how it's possible for them to exist because that's for later, annoyingly. But in terms of you getting information from external sources that help you solve the mystery, the show doesn't do that. It just sprinkles in little references that's enough to make people in the know about those things speculate ultimately to have that answer not delivered so i think it's okay from that point of view i think as i say everything that is within the show is there and you don't need to go anywhere else to get it so i think that's fine so calling the kids demon spawn is designed to get people like me going oh maybe that's mephisto but ultimately it's just a reference Well, I will say that not everything is in the show still. I know that for certain because of having Laura next to me, that not everything was in the show. I'm happy that there were Easter eggs for people that did know more to get stuff out of. But one of the episodes is completely inaccessible in its big reveal at the end, if you don't know the stuff and that's when pietro comes to the door at the end of the episode laura turned to me and said effectively i don't get it what's going on why is that a big end of episode climax and that was completely inaccessible to her and dear god did it take me a lot of explanation to actually say why this was such a big deal (laughs) and why the internet was probably on fire right now and at the end of it of course she was completely nonplussed you know because it didn't mean to her Now, that's fine. It doesn't need to be. Not everything was supposed to be accessible to somebody new, but I'm only bringing that out because I will use that as proof that not literally everything is accessible in the show. Most of it is probably, but I don't think you can say literally everything. Although that appearance is front-loaded a bit because it is mentioned before that point that she had a brother who's dead. And then Darcy says, she recast Pietro? So you get the information that she had a brother called Pietro and that this isn't him from his first appearance. So that's not enough. I am not going to go on record here and say that my partner wasn't clever enough to work that out because (laughs) I'm sure she could have done if she'd have been taking notes. Yeah, That's not enough. So I'm going to specifically remember that because you said your brother's name and that's going to come back. It wasn't flagged that way. Not like the, is everybody ready for this? If there are four runes of this type around the room, only the witch can use this (laughs) magic. She should have turned to camera at that point, have said, did everyone get that? Fourth wall break. Brilliant. They didn't do that with Pietro (laughs) thing. It just went by, as it should have done in conversation. We're having an emotional conversation about my brother who's called Pietro. 
and it was reasonable for them to use the name. I actually thought that was well done, but because it was well done, it wasn't signpost and it wasn't enough for the uneducated viewer to catch it at the end. So I don't believe Laura missed it. I think it wasn't flagged well enough. If that was the design, and I don't think it was, that's not what I'm arguing. I don't think it was supposed to be. I think it was for us, the fans, but it still goes to prove that it wasn't completely internally consistent. You did need knowledge outside to fully appreciate some of those things. Even if, as I say, there was only a couple, fair enough. That's not a complaint to the show. I'm just challenging the 100% rather than you know anything else. It's hard for us to get that perspective that you've mentioned because we've seen the films umpteen times oh, and we know the background and we know about corporate mergers and all these things. So yeah. Yeah. it's difficult to look at that as anything beyond how we see it. But yeah, that is an interesting take and it would have probably been good to get someone on this podcast that has no idea about any of these things, but... So I did invite her. I said, do you want to come on? And she said, no, I'm too shy. So <laughs> I was so close to having that perspective on there. So I'm going to have to drag on to some other podcast, maybe with just myself, and then sort of ease her into it. Then you can have that perspective for One Division Series 2 that apparently they're considering. Yeah, or something else. This seems like a good natural point to get onto Pietro then. I found that a really interesting thing, and it's a really interesting opportunity they had to play with fans in a very particular way because your partner Laura's perspective he's just some guy that isn't really her brother but from the perspective of people that know the films and know the X-Men films and know everything else we've got this situation where you have two different versions of a character across two unlinked film series where one of them is dead and the other one is now defunct and has been merged with the corporate entity that is Disney. So we know that it is possible to have the alternate version of Quicksilver appear in one division. And they definitely took advantage of that. There is no other opportunity that exists for any other character to do something like this. And I actually admire them for giving that a go and bringing him in and playing with us in that way for it only to turn out, yeah, he's just some guy that lives in the town that's under Agatha's control. And anything around the multiverse and everything else, you've brought that in because we never really suggested it in the show itself that this is what's happened. You've just kind of got that from your own knowledge of everything outside, from the meta side of it all. And I'm okay with that. By the end, I was, okay, fair play, guys. You got me. And I was kind of wondering if this was the way you were going to do it. But ultimately, I didn't expect them to do it. I kind of thought that it would be something else and him turning out to just be a guy that lived in Westview who happens to be played by Evan Peters, who happened to play another version of Quicksilver in another set of films, was fine. I was okay with it. But interesting that they did that to play with us. I 100% agree with Craig about all the Pietro stuff. I was elated when he turned up. Elated. (laughs) So happy. I love him. He's my favorite Quicksilver. Sorry to MCU Quicksilver, but... He just wasn't great. I don't think anyone would say that MCU Quicksilver is their favourite Quicksilver. Statistically, (laughs) there must be some people. And if there's some of them among our listeners, sorry, pals, but no. (laughs) If you really loved his 10 minutes of screen time, fair play to you. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Yeah, no, I just didn't like him very much at all. I just didn't care, basically. And she was always the more interesting of the two. 
So when Evan Peters showed up, I was like, yes, <laughs> please find a way to keep him. Please find a way to keep him. I don't think that they will, which no, this will be the suck. end of it. I don't know if down the line, because obviously they've very much shelved the X-Men stuff for some time, which is fair play. And we'll see how and when and the way in which they will do that, introduce the mutants in to any MCU things. We'll see. I am, yeah, like just fair play, but also disappointed that we won't get any more of that because genuinely Evan Peters as Pietro is probably one of the best parts of the X-Men movies post first class. So, you know, just it makes <laughs> me a little sad. But emotionally, I kind of went through everything that you said. I was like, oh, okay, they found a way to maybe squeeze in this, I'm generally aware of the comic book connections and the things that they have now acquired and are able to do and have plans to introduce and all of that. But I wasn't really keeping score as I was watching the show. And I wasn't gonna enter a whole speculation of, ooh, is this about the multiverse? Is this about... Who I don't even know who Mephisto <laughs> is, to be honest. At no point was I trying to connect to comic book characters. I was just going to let it play out and see what's what. So during that whole Pietro phase, I was just happy he was there. <laughs> <laughs> and for adding that extra layer of Wanda dealing with grief. And I don't think that she ever, on camera anyway... We never saw her deal with her brother's death. And so it was interesting getting those flashbacks with the Vision early on in their friendship and how he kind of helped her during the time that she was grieving Pietro and all of that. All of that time period that was very much in between movies. And genuinely, it's some of the most interesting emotional stuff that the MCU kind of asks us to consider either gets dealt with off camera or it's on camera, but very brief. Yeah. Because I was talking to my partner about this at some point as we were watching this. And I was like, well, you know, like we've never seen Wanda deal with all these things. She's had so much happen to her and so many people that she loved that she lost. And what does that do to a person? And I was thinking about Steve, Captain America. He similarly has been through some stuff and the way in which he processes that on camera is fine, but I want more. I want more of what does it mean to see your childhood best friend, everyone you know has died of old age, yet here he is and he hasn't aged. What the hell? I wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> more juicy and side note, very gay stuff, all of that emotional anguish. Yes, please give it to me. And so I was glad to see Pietro here. We got a chance to see Wanda work through that, but with a better Pietro. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> best of both worlds. Very here for it. Sad that it turns out he's just some dude named Ralph Boner, which haha, but also come on. <laughs> I think it could be Bonner because he has the H in his name. Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps, but they do pronounce it boner on they the do. show. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't make any effort to correct it, so <laughs> I'm going to call him boner. And it's a little bit like, uh, okay, I guess, I suppose. Sad we're not going to get any more of that, but 
ultimately, I enjoyed it for what it was. In the context of the show itself, Pietro could have been played by anyone for all the relevance the performer had. It was purely a stunt to make us draw connections that didn't exist. And a very well played stunt, I have Mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, (laughs) quite right. Quite right. I think it was a very tongue in cheek, interesting. Okay, you did that, Disney. We see you. Cool. Plus, stunt casting is a hallmark of sitcoms. That is true. (laughs) So it's relevant to what they're doing as well. And yeah, to your point about the whole emotional anguish thing, the films can't give us that, or rather they won't give us that because the focus is elsewhere. So you say about Wanda's grief and her trauma and everything she's been through. You see that in the films, but there's no time to focus on it because we have to go watch Iron Man and Captain America fight now. And that's what's happening here. That's what this film is about. So we can't deal with this side of things. And that's the beauty of these TV shows, I think, is you've got the time to dig into these characters that you know, kind of, they're there. They've been there for a while, but you don't really know them. So here's your chance to get to know them based Mm. on what story they're going to get involved in. And it could come out the other side of this with us knowing them better than we know the big ticket Avengers, really. Actually, at the end of this show, feel I know Wanda a lot better than, I don't know, some people that have been around for longer. I feel I know Wanda better than Rhodey, although we'll be fixing that when he gets his own show, I suppose. I don't know that I will watch a Rhodey show. (laughs) (laughs) You will, because Marvel have told you that it's coming out and you'll watch it. (laughs) Yes, but I don't care about him, like, at all. I don't care. If you remove him from every movie he's been in, I'm not going to shed a tear or know the difference. (laughs) And whatever that says about me, I just don't care. Who are you? Why are you here? Why? Just why? I remember you saying that about this show before it came on, actually. This one? Yeah. I remember you saying you weren't too fussed about it, and then suddenly, here you are. (laughs) Definitely said it in relation to a lot of the Marvel stuff that was announced. Hey, happy to be proven wrong as I was with this one. I really enjoyed WandaVision, perhaps because my expectations were set low. (laughs) Yeah, here's two characters that we, as you say, didn't really know, didn't really spend a lot of time with, and they managed to make us care and make a pretty decent effort at just something different something a little bit artsy and jazzy i'm very impressed with it yeah so aaron after all that are you still really upset that he's not pietro from the x-men universe made flesh in the mcu i'm not specifically upset that he's not that character no that's a bit too specific i think i did enjoy that character very much as everybody did so that would have been a welcome addition if it was coming. I don't think I appreciated the idea of, I think you just referred to it as stunt casting. I don't think I'd heard of that thing before. And I didn't appreciate that was actually a thing in sitcoms, despite being as old as I am and having watched so many sitcoms. I think I've still managed to miss even that point. But that does actually add an element to this that I hadn't thought of before, hadn't brought into my analysis. So most of the stuff I would want to say seems to become completely unimportant in the face of that. If this was a theme as part of sitcoms, then the fact that it's been done because it gets done gives it relevance. I needed to appreciate that, though, I think, because without appreciating that, the fact that it's a third type of mystery that occurs in a TV show when I'm already confused about what type of mystery it is, and now I've got a third type, is just confusing for me, the viewer. Didn't 
enjoy that reveal going, they tricked me. They proved they were cleverer than I was, and good for them. Well done. Excellent. You win. <laughs> I didn't even know we were fighting. Turns out we were, and you beat me. Okay. <laughs> Full marks for that, but don't expect me to be impressed by that. If you go pawn to king four, and that's not even a move, pawn to b4, and I don't even know we're playing chess, is it really a victory? So I felt lost because of that. Maybe I wouldn't know if I'd have known that point that you said about sitcoms, but even with that... I still felt a bit lost by it because the ending doesn't really seem to hit me emotionally at all of the whole series. And then looking back, there was another big important reveal that didn't mean anything. So all I've managed to see now is another thing stacking up on a pile of stuff that doesn't mean anything. And so again, I'm going, well, why did I bother then? Why did I try to emotionally invest in that because it didn't go anywhere. It would have taken a lot for me to break through that because I was thinking that Agatha needed to have fourth wall breaking knowledge to create the character that we know from the other universe to give him the powers is reasonably easy because she can copy this universe, but to give him the alternate perspective on what we were when we were young does her magic naturally just cross universes what she just says magic of mine get inspiration that is realistic from somewhere and the magic says oh my god how are we going to do that well do you know there's this other universe should we try there brilliant and off they go and the magic just does that and brings it back and magic is magic so you can have that if the rules of magic haven't been explained to me, and turns out I don't want them explained to me in this because it makes it worse, but if the rules of magic haven't been explained to me, then I don't know if I can factor that in or not. So all of this is just this big unknown, and I'm left going, well, why does he know the stuff from this other universe? Because I, Disney, want to beat you. Oh, gotcha. Okay, again, you win. I get nothing out of this. There's no emotion in this at all. It's just all a big disappointment. Can we get rid of that character then so we can get on to something more interesting? Let's get back to Vision and Wanda, which I totally agree with. Both of you have said anything where Vision and Wanda are together or, or even apart trying to figure out the other one is really great. And I didn't really have time for something that took me away from that, especially if it in the end didn't mean anything other than just a gigantic fourth wall breaking trick. So no gain for me from Pietro, I'm afraid. I took the whole history thing to just be that's what his character was given in the same way that the other characters within the sitcom world were given personalities and jobs and stuff that weren't who they were. So I was okay with that. The other characters could have stuff that was just made up. It was literally made up. His was made up to match the X-Men universe, though. So who knew that? Well, I don't think it was because the X-Men version of Pietro was Peter Maximoff and he was American. Yeah. So his childhood would have probably not been getting fish when going trick-or-treating or whatever. So I just took that as a, I don't know, we're going to give this a quirky Eastern European vibe to his history that doesn't really match what's real for Wanda anyway, and that's what makes her wonder what's going on. Maybe I've read too much into that then, and again, that's my own darkness but yeah you brought the multiverse with you again not to do that stuff though given that i'm being teased as a mystery yeah and you're looking for answers still to be told at the end of that mystery there are no answers it still feels a bit rude even knowing those two things 
<laughs> okay, so that's Pietro. Let's get to Wanda, because the grief thing, that was what I really found interesting about this. This whole idea that she was willfully living this lie because it was a comforting lie, and especially when you get the context through her walk down memory lane with Agatha, where every painful memory is contrasted by her watching a sitcom. So that's where she gets her comfort from. It's the waiting for the bomb to explode, but it's okay, the sitcom's on. It's my favourite episode and that's bringing me comfort. I've just got my powers and I'm in this Hydra base. I'm watching the sitcom, it gives me comfort. I've just lost my brother. I'm watching Malcolm in the Middle and it's bringing me comfort. I really liked how that was set up, or retroactively set up as being the reason that she conjured up this reality, whether she was... Well, she wouldn't have been aware of it in a conscious level, it's a subconscious level, but it's conjured up because of that love of simplicity in sitcoms where everything's all right by the end of the episode and everything goes back to normal and nobody loses anything and it's all just comforting and safe and hilarious if you find it funny. And I found that a really interesting little character detail for her, that little obsession that she had with that view of things, how she wanted that simplicity in her life and she fought really, really hard to keep it. Anytime anything pushed against her reality that she had created, she reacted in a pretty scary way. She threw Monica out, she threatened the sword agents, pointing guns at them, pointing their own guns at them. She's keeping Vision under control and steering him away from questioning everything that's going on. Things like that, I thought it was really great stuff and the way that they built that early on and set up that whole notion of you have to accept this or you'll never heal. So she's not healing, she's hiding. And that's what the whole setup is about, really. So it's not multiverse and mutants. It's she's hiding inside her own little bubble. It's interesting. I was just scrolling on Instagram earlier and I found this post from I follow a couple of psychologists And there was one post that said anger or intense outbursts are a sign that our needs have been chronically unmet. Mm. And, oh boy, (laughs) I think that Wanda fits that 100%. I don't think that she ever got a chance to consider what her needs are emotionally and what she has gone through and to sit with it and process and accept the loss And the absolute terrible hand she's dealt with from the get-go. And then to just be like, well, you have to be okay. We have to accept this. We have to move on. We have missions to do. The Avengers don't really get time to go to therapy (laughs) (laughs) and deal with all the pretty horrific emotional stuff that have happened to them. So yeah, the way in which she finally forces, well, I mean, you know, unintentionally, but she forces herself to take that time and consider and sit with all of that pain in the same way that, as you said, you know, I'm watching Malcolm in the Middle and it brings me comfort. How many of us have just vegetated in front of TV after a particularly bad period of time or during a particularly bad period of time and just binging something and letting ourselves inhabit that world instead of ours because it hurts yeah. too much. Personally, hand up, absolutely have done this. And it's very interesting having a character who has the power to actually make this reality and she can, in fact, inhabit that world. But ultimately, it's the same kind of coping mechanism that a lot of us use, which is just escape into 
a fictional whatever. And it could be comedies. It could be whenever I'm sick, I watch uh, that awful Netflix show, Shadow Hunters. <laughs> I'm on record now admitting this. It's my absolute guilty pleasure. I'm sick. My brain isn't working very well. I need something dumb. This is it. And so I save it. I save Shadow Hunters. I haven't finished it because I only ever watch it when I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like watching it at any other time just defeats the purpose. So anything like that in a similar way, binging, I don't know, Friends or How I Met Your Mother or whatever, and existing in that kind of like vague haha space of comedy. <laughs> it's very interesting. And as we've discussed, I think it makes her more human. Finally, you know, like more interesting. We get to know her. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, I did find myself wondering why Hawkeye didn't whisk her off to the farm for a few weeks just to give her some support. Because she's just kind of left on her own after the events of Endgame, which is ridiculous if you think about it, because she has yeah. nobody. I mean, she doesn't even yeah. have a home anymore because Avengers Mansion is destroyed, or Avengers, the compound is destroyed. So she can't go and live there. Presumably all her stuff. Her DVD collection's in there, probably. Oh, <laughs> That's no. gone. Unless they put it in storage after she blipped. I don't know. Maybe Cap was doing a bit of a clear out after the blip. And just, yeah, okay, let's pack up all this trash and move it in a storage room. I don't know. I'm doing a lot of headcanoning here. <laughs> perhaps too much. But uh, say Hawkeye specifically, because one of her only non-fight scenes in Endgame is them standing by the lake chatting about loss very briefly. So there was a connection there. So you would think he would be like, come on, come and live with me and the kids for a bit and we'll give you some company for a while to process everything. Maybe she did that and it didn't work and then she left. We'll find out out in the Hawkeye series. <laughs> I don't know. But it just seems odd that she's just left in the wilderness and then it goes from this whole being completely alone to finding out that Vision bought a plot of land for them to build a house on and then suddenly I'm enslaving this town in a sitcom reality and it's a good metaphor for how grief drags in everyone around you whether you want it to or not because it's an isolating experience in a way but it's also not because other people have to deal with you in that state and then the people around her didn't have a choice in that matter and I don't feel like she is taking a task for it in the way that she probably should be because the long-term effects on those people are unthinkable, considering what she's put them through. Making her live through her nightmares, for example. It's unwittingly. She didn't do it on purpose, but at the same time, it is very concerning. And those people have a lot of therapy ahead of them. Exactly. There's just a lot. I mean, trying to remember which... Uh, oh, I think it's Civil War, actually, that opens with Tony Stark having invented a way to go back into your memories and deal with painful memories, you know, the hologram of himself and his parents. And that scratches the surface of, in particular, Tony Stark's issues, but I guess generally the idea that all of these people, I mean, you know, all of us, everyone has things like that, that we carry, that we constantly have to keep dealing with and coming to terms with and all of that and it's an evolving process and the fact that none of the avengers really get any <laughs> <laughs> any such support it's kind of staggering to face that and it's as i say it's very interesting that the show decided to do that basically as its main narrative force ultimately i think It'd be great to, as I said earlier, more of that anguish, juicy stuff. Please give me it. It's great. I feast. 
I feast on fictional characters' pain. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your pain. <laughs> Let me taste your tears. All that kind of mm, twisted delicious. stuff. <laughs> the thing is, there was a lot that went on in this show that really hit me on a deeply personal level, actually, because listeners probably won't know, but I lost my mum in 2019. And ever since then, anytime there's some kind of grief plot in a TV show, it immediately gets my attention because... I guess I'm just looking for that comparison in some way. But in this show, there was a few moments where I just had to pause it and just collect myself as it was going on, particularly the conversation her envision had in her memory, where it was it's like this wave that keeps knocking me over and I can't stand up again. And that whole what is grief but love persevering thing. I think that really did the rounds and everybody reacted to it as if it was the best line ever written. And it's a great line. And I love that it comes from Vision, who has a very closed-off, unique perspective on the world, because he's, at that point, a few months old, maybe? He doesn't understand how human connection works and all that stuff, so his point of view on it is unique. It's like Data in Star Trek. No one sees the world like Data, because Data has that innocence that no one else can have, because we're all beaten up by our own baggage. So, on a personal level, I found this really worked for me. I just found some of it difficult to watch because of what was being thrown at me on a really visceral level. And I don't mind sharing that. I mean, I'm not the only one to have ever experienced grief, of course, or any kind of emotional anguish that you might relate to on this level. But for something that hit me this hard, it seemed rare that something would mm. do that. And that something is a superhero TV show framed largely as a sitcom medley. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I did really like that line about love persevering. It was absolutely poetic. Yeah, very. Erin, what were your thoughts on the whole grief set up and how Wanda was dealing with it? Or not dealing with it? Well, I've got nothing that I'm going to be able to add or challenge from anything either of you have said. So I'll just try and move the conversation on to some other thought, which is I think I would have liked the show to have gone deeper into her grief making her the villain. And I was perfectly okay with the idea that the depths of it were unintentional because I don't want her to be the villain at the end. But I think I would have liked her to have been more of the villain than just one line where she throwaway says, maybe I am the villain. And quite frankly, she is not the villain. That was such an interesting possibility for all of this that a human's grief drives them to something. And in this show, it's even more tempting, given that there is no, from my perspective, decent villain in this. And a decent villain is usually, well, certainly these days, we've come to demand a villain with a backstory that is human and meaningful. We don't want twirly moustache anymore. <laughs> that has moved on. and. Wanda's backstory is a brilliant villain's origin story that somebody was just crushed underneath their own grief to the extent that they started doing things that would not normally be even tasteful to them if allowed. But your moral compass slides when you lose perspective and you lose perspective when you're in that depth of grief. And so a believable villain is born. And this is being teased throughout because what are you doing to us 
is occasionally said, and she reverses it. You've got my child locked up in her bedroom. Will you please let her out? And these choices have been made by Wanda at the start. And they're lost somehow to some degree because they've got that won't somebody think of the children banner across the town feet? And you think, oh, yeah, what does that mean? And everybody was trying to figure out, oh, what does that mean? And it means that Wanda has decided that she can't torture the kids. She's kept them locked up. But she's had to do something to keep them locked up. Are they literally physically locked up? And seeing some more details of that would have been really interesting. And seeing her almost become a villain, I think, would have been a much more powerful storyline. Everything you've said, I agree with. Her emotional storyline, her emotional arc is where the power of this piece is, and that it is not part of the resolution. It is on paper. It is in theory on paper part of the resolution. I won't deny that. But I think I would have preferred the ending to have been part of the whole sitcom setup. I would have liked something like perhaps her own two children come up to her and say, Mommy, we don't think it's a good idea that you're imprisoning all the other children. And that comment is enough to make Wanda crack. And then she starts crying. So how is this sitcom villain defeated by two children with effectively no emotional understanding and no powers? They just come at her with this pure innocence and defeat her. And that has got to have been fitting with what we were offered. I don't think that would have been out of place. I think that would have taken the whole sitcom thing and really made it central and added only to the power of it all. I think I personally would have even taken it further because I never really understood until episode eight, as I say, the style of the mystery and the fact that it was a different episode, uh, sorry, different decade every week. I was trying to figure something out about that. It turns out it wasn't. That was just a gimmick and you just had to buy into that and that was fine. But when I was going through it, I couldn't help but think, what if they'd have written it such that at the end of every episode, she's forced to acknowledge her reality again she sees something horrifying. She sees something she's not prepared to have in her fictional world. And she says no. And she restarts her story. And when she restarts her story, she restarts it in a new decade because it's almost like, well, the 50s didn't work because they managed to break that. I'm going to try the 60s. And then somebody else comes along and they do something which forces her to realize where she is again. The 60s didn't work. I'm going to try the 70s. So everything you've said, I completely agree with, that the power of the show was in Wanda's emotions, and her emotions are integral to the whole sitcom theme. And I'm left wondering, actually, I'm not left wondering, I was left wondering, why couldn't we have just had that all the way through? Now, I know why we couldn't, because we had to introduce Monica Rambeau and get her origin story in. Fine. <laughs> we needed to get Darcy in there to do a connection to the rest of the expanded universe, Okay, don't agree with that. But all the rest of it serves that greater purpose. We need to get the scroll in at the end. We need to get this. We need to do that. We need it. And I think, oh, that's such a shame because all the sitcom stuff is so great. And I can think of how it could be even better, but it cannot be because what the show needs to be to fit into the universe. And I would have preferred to see, as Kat said, sitcom, sitcom, all the way through. Get into that grief. Let's see that. Let's turn that right up. And then really finish it with Wanda being the villain and she is defeated in the vein of a sitcom plot. 
defeat. And I think that would have been just amazing. It only goes to say that the sitcom still, as I said in all the previous bits, the sitcom and the emotional side is definitely the best part. Yeah, what you were talking about, actually, in terms of the moving the decades on, that happens to a lesser degree. For example, she moves a decade on after she sees the beekeeper, the sword agent who turns into a beekeeper. So that kind of breaks our reality a bit. They do it once there, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose you could have the whole breaking of the reality when the wife is asking how they met. So that's almost, that breaks that set up a little bit. And I'm sure there's other examples that I could think of. She has the kids. Oh, yeah, Monica mentions Pietro. So that, again, breaks that reality. So she chucks her out and it's time to move on the decades again. They do do that. She is forced to confront her reality. I, I don't yeah. deny that. But that's not why they're doing it. Yeah, I know what you're no, saying. No, exactly. Yeah. And, and even the adverts of that, because I always thought, why didn't Darcy freak out when she sees a Hydra advert? <laughs> now, what? Surely you're going to be all over that. It's Hydra. So they'd be thinking, it doesn't come up on anybody's plot board. Could it yeah. be Hydra? Nah, probably not. Let's not do that. Are they still around? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It didn't get till episode eight where I realized the reason they didn't is because, as I say, the type of mystery is it's an arts piece. It's not a mystery that you can solve. So the fact that Hydra's there doesn't mean anything. It's part of the emotions. But I think whereas they did put her confronting her reality in it, I do just wonder what it would have been like if they'd have made it at the end of every episode because they don't use it. When Pietro turns up, it doesn't jolt them at that point. He's then in the next episode in the same background. When they have trouble with the boss, at the end of the episode, it's and it's all happily ever after. Yeah. And I agree that's actually something that's part of the sitcom. The fact that at the end of every episode, it resets to... The happiness is kind of the theme as a sitcom. So it's not that I didn't understand that. I totally get that's the point. Change everything whilst keeping it the same. But I honestly thought that one of the themes of this was that that's what she couldn't have. The fact that it ends happily ever after at the end of the episode is is almost like, well, but hang on a minute. She's miserable. She doesn't get happily ever after. Surely she gets happily ever after at the end of episode eight or nine, not at the end of episode one, but that's a choice. They did that on purpose. So I'm not saying it was bad and I'm not saying they missed a trick. They did do her facing her realities. I do just wonder if, if we'd have been given the full sitcom treatment, would it have not enhanced all those emotional moments that you both agreed that you really enjoyed? Yeah. And your mention of introducing Monica, yeah, that's just to give her her origin story. This is how she gets her powers. Now she's off to space with Nick Fury, presumably, although they don't directly reference him. But who else is it going to be with well, Skrulls? Who else hangs around with Skrulls that we know of? In space, yeah, absolutely. It has to be Nick Fury. But for the purposes of the show, Monica was positioned as a kind of opposite to Wanda in terms of grief, as in she'd accepted hers or accepted that she has to deal with hers and is trying to work through that. So she's the one saying to Wanda, you have to deal with this. You have to accept your truth. You have to move on. Otherwise, you'll never heal. I don't like the fact that I've lost someone, but also I have to deal with it. And so do you. And then at the very end, she says to Wanda, I would have done the same thing in your shoes. It's like, well, that's not what you said a couple of weeks ago. So why are you here now? She only does that as epilogue. I could have understand it more if it was Monica that talked Wanda down. If Wanda was in a moment of full-on bad guy, just really going nuts with her newfound and welcome evil because it gives her respite from her grief, I could have understood if Monica had then turned up and said, 
we need to talk. Let's go about this. Have you considered that? And she's the one that breaks Wanda out of her devastating finale. Then it would have really made sense because her having this opposite perspective on grief, it would have been her counseling Wanda to get to that same point of acceptance. But yeah, as you said, they don't do that. I say it is in epilogue. It's not in any form of resolution, which is potentially another shame. That's where I thought it was going as well, because that's where it was, mm. that's where it was heading. That's what they'd set up, and that's what I'm talking about when I say the finale abandons things that they've set up, and then it doesn't make sense that they've abandoned them. So all Monica does in the end is hang around in a basement with not Pietro, <laughs> and then stop the kids from getting gunned down by Hayward, who's decided that it's okay to shoot that's children. A good idea for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. That's crazy. So. It was a waste of Monica there, which is a real shame because everything up to that point with her was excellently done. She was set up as a really interesting character. That very violent introduction you get to her... Well, I mean, she's in the previous episodes as quote-unquote Geraldine. But what I mean is that violent introduction you get to her as Monica with her coming back from the blip and in the chaos of the hospital. That was amazing. I thought that was really good stuff and set her up brilliantly. And then when she comes back out of the hex for the first time... And it's all this, I understand what Wanda's going through. We need to help her with that. We can't be threatening her because all she'll do is kill us because of her power. We need to reach her. And then she tries, fails, to therefore set up the possibility of her trying again and succeeding. And then it just goes away because her and Agatha have to throw different coloured magical bolts at each other because it's a third act of a Marvel thing. (laughs) Not that I hate the spectacle, but it was out of place here. I think it just missed the potential more powerful, more emotional ending. As you say, they gave it a Marvel ending, but if you've committed to giving us a sitcom, surely you could have given us a sitcom ending. But maybe they thought that was too much of a stretch. Maybe they thought the audience wouldn't buy into it. I do remember, just because I've had this connection with Laura watching it, she's also been talking to one of her friends at work who is... I don't know if she's a full-on geek or if she just loves the Marvel stuff, but this other person's perspective was they didn't understand the mystery and they were really struggling with the early episodes. It didn't connect with them at all. I did not expect that, actually. Somebody who was totally into the Marvel, I love the films and I love the TV series, was saying, oh, I don't get this, or I don't know, I'm not, not into this. Maybe the writer thought there are going to be those people out there and we need to give them their Marvel ending because that's what they're expecting. So maybe it was a purposeful choice because they didn't think a significant enough percentage of the audience would have wanted the sitcom emotional ending. And maybe they read that correctly, but I don't have the percentages to know how many people were potentially more talking what Laura was expecting compared to what her colleague was expecting. It would be interesting to know, but yeah, I don't. And I think part of what robs us of a proper resolution is the fact that we're setting up stuff that's coming later. So we know that Wanda's going to be in Doctor Strange, or maybe we don't, but I know that Wanda's going to be in Doctor Strange. So they want to throw in a bit of ambiguity over whether she's going to go full villain for that film. So they couldn't have her do it here and then resolve it. They could have had her do it here and then leave and then be Doctor Strange's problem after that. But I think that post-credit scene is purposely ambiguous as to whether is she being corrupted by the book that she's reading or not. Yeah. And that's a shame. I love a shared universe. Of course I do. I'm fully invested in this one and in the DC TV one. So 
I love a shared universe, but I think it has those problems as well where you just get non-ending sometimes, which irks me, especially in this case, because I just felt a bit empty by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Because of what they didn't resolve, which is a shame. Kat, did you like Monica in context of the show? Mostly yes. I was very happy when they said her name and I was like, oh, it's the little girl from Captain Marvel. Oh my God. (laughs) Because very clearly that girl was going to be something. So I'm glad we get to see her. As a character, generally, yes. The problem, I think, with the show is that the sword stuff is the weakest part of all of it. And so while she's interesting and there's definitely something there to explore about her grief, losing her mother in the time that she also was dead, and then having to come back and be like, wait, what? I was dead and now I'm not dead and the world has changed. Wait, what? So all of that is very interesting. I don't know that this is the show for that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm certainly keen to see her going forward in something else i feel like we'll definitely see her again captain marvel 2 and possibly the nick fury show now that they've set that up yeah so yeah i'm looking forward to spending more time with her as a character and seeing where her powers go and all of that that's very interesting i didn't know about her as a comic book character and the superhero that she is because i think a lot of chatter around the time when she showed up was oh it's photon and i was like i have no idea what that is (laughs) it's fine i think her origin story and how she gets her powers is very interesting in the way that people who get their powers in the mcu as a secondary or perhaps even tertiary link to an infinity stone because there's people like captain marvel or indeed wanda who get it direct from the source and then there's other people who kind of get affected by someone with infinity stone powers and that gives them their own powers so it's cool i don't think that it got explored very well because it's not the time for that so i'm looking forward to seeing more of that and then as an aside it's the same kind of trouble i had with the hobie smolders character in the first avengers movie specifically the first avengers movie less so in the later ones that she was in but the idea that this person's very high up in the food chain but at the same time it feels like she doesn't have much power at all so us being invited to believe that here's this person whose her mom was basically head honcho but they also kind of had a lot of respect for her and yet generic white guy don't remember his name don't care very bland dude just kind of like waves his hand and she's not allowed to do anything or speak it's just like well no it doesn't matter what you have to say you haven't been here for five years but isn't she important to your organization though i just don't understand are we or aren't we supposed to fear and respect this woman why do you treat her like this and it was the same with the kobe smolders character am i supposed to believe that she says jump and people say how high because i just don't buy it from the way that she's written and that's the fault of just dialogue being a little bit meh and other characters just not treating these women with the respect and reverence that comes with a position that high in these organizations side note the whole sword thing i'm just why (laughs) just why i understand the concept of why right yes shield is completely gone 
we're building something else in its place. We need to have a way to deal with these issues as they come along. Superpowered individuals, aliens, weapons we don't understand, portals, all of that. We need to have a dedicated team. Okay. But I don't know that any of it was super clear to me as a viewer without much knowledge of the sword of the comics, because I know that they exist, but I don't really know if they're any different to S.H.I.E.L.D. They're kind of presented like they are different, but then they just kind of act like generic S.H.I.E.L.D. from, I would say, early Iron Man Thor vibes. Just, there's a thing, we don't understand, we're gonna go shoot it. (laughs) Which is fine if you're on movie one or two of the MCU, but it's not great when it's a TV show that follows 23 films. At this point, I'm tired of generic agency shoots a thing they don't understand. And when Monica is the voice of reason, when she's like, hey, I've been inside there. Here's what I think is happening. Listen to me. And they're just like, no, we're going to go shoot it. (laughs) Okay, fine. That's why I'm frustrated by the second half of the series, because we focus a lot on that story. And while I find Monica's story and Monica as a character much more interesting than anything else that's happening outside the hex, we just don't spend enough time on that. I totally agree with you on S.W.O.R.D. as an organization. There's not enough to differentiate them from early S.H.I.E.L.D. And let's face it, Hayward's no Coulson. Because the only reason we'd be interested in S.H.I.E.L.D. way back then is Mm -hmm. Coulson. We like Coulson. He's a nice guy. He thinks outside the box. We like this guy. We're okay with him being in this corrupt organisation because we know his heart's in the right place. But yeah, I'm not seeing how S.W.O.R.D. is much different from S.H.I.E.L.D. in that respect. The only difference at the moment seems to be Hydra haven't hidden inside them since they began. But again, there's no difference because they're sketchy as all hell. Let's harvest the corpse of Vision, for example. And the word I used when I reviewed it was mutilate because that's what they did to him. They chopped him up and then repurposed him for their own weird non-purpose that failed immediately. My main question around how they did that was how did they cut into Vision? Because he's made of vibranium and I don't think the saws they were using were made of vibranium. So how is the chief question there? But again, that's a hair-splitting thing. You think swords surely have to answer to someone. They have to have some kind of oversight. But there's classified stuff. That whole vision project is classified. Hayward lies about what Wanda did when she came to the compound to just see the body. He tells everyone, she broke in and stole the body. And now look at it. It's walking around in that fantasy realm that she's made. Isn't that ridiculous? Let's point our guns at her, please. And then he keeps the whole white vision project thing secret until they launch it. So I'm really not sure what motivates anything that they're doing. What purpose is there in lying about what they're doing to Vision? There isn't one, really. Other than it gives us a post-credit scene reveal that points out that he was lying this whole time. The only reason that Sword are there is to give them someone to defeat at the end. They've got the classic setup of... Everybody who's a hero needs somebody to fight at the end. And so once they've paired up the important people, which is Vision versus White Vision, and White Vision is the only interesting villain in the whole piece, and he gets less than 10 minutes, but yeah, he's paired up with Vision. 
one, there is paired up with Agatha because obviously, and then it's like, well, who can we pair everybody else up with? Oh, we need another bad guy. So we ran in generic bad people. <laughs> we know they're bad because all they do is evil things. Why do they do evil things? Because they're evil, obviously. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, fine. Yeah. So they're literally just there to give people something to fight. The kids need something to fight at the end. They're a toy for the children is what they are. <laughs> and they serve no other purpose and none of them are well used or well brought. They could have just been a kit box. I need a big moon unit. You've got one of those and they're just a voice on the radio that just delivers. Amazon delivers could have brought the moon unit for them to attack the hex in. You know, so sort of no value in this. They are essentially Hydra. They are yeah. Hydra. That's what they are. That's what they're for. They don't have any interesting to them. They're just, I need somebody with an evil tag and you'll do. Yeah. White Vision was great, though, in his brief screen time. I like the fact that the two Visions were fighting and it was just invincible people hitting each other until they realised this isn't getting us anywhere because none of us can win because we're both invincible people hitting each other. (laughs) And then let's have a chat and then they have a chat about identity, the ship of Theseus, the whole if you change all of the components over time, is it still the same ship? And are we still the same Vision? Are we both Vision? Are neither of us Vision? And then they decide very quickly, because they're supercomputers, we're both vision. And neither of us are. Yeah. yeah. See, the thing is, though, that is the most interesting final combat in the entire piece. And I would have wanted to see more. Interestingly, it's the same argument I always put in all of these podcasts we do. You could just record me and I would just have the same argument. I wanted <laughs> to see more of that. And then you don't need me anymore. What I could have seen as a really good plot line would have been white vision turns up a lot and they keep having to get rid of him and then it's just this terminator that they can't deal with until eventually somebody by real vision works out i've now figured out what this thing's mission is now i know what it is i can defeat it and he talks him around and that could have been extended to this horrible threat that you can't defeat other than maybe Wanda can just keep teleporting him away. They can't defeat White Vision, but maybe she can trap him in sitcom tropes. And so they just keep pushing him aside somehow until eventually he breaks through and they have to deal with him. But then they get him talking on his mission, blah, blah, blah. blah. So all the thing that they actually do within about five minutes, if they'd have made something of that, then that final defeat could have been even more powerful as it was it was good it was what's your mission my mission is to destroy vision okay well to destroy vision you have to defeat both of us and neither of us logical impossibility all right i'm out of here and (laughs) it's comical because it's so quick it actually works like you say it's consistent it does actually work as a yeah i've been told to do this by the humans and it doesn't make any sense so why would i do that and then either computer decide i'm going to go and do something else but without giving it proper treatment you sort of have to build on that ship of Theseus thing yourself and make it into something bigger. And that is such a big shame. If Fagatha and generic evil guy had have offered any form of interesting villain in the piece, I wouldn't have wanted necessarily so much more from White Vision. But in the end, I was desperate to get something from that character. And I'm glad I did. But yeah, maybe would have wanted more. I mean, he was just thrown in as a way to keep Paul Bettany around while also losing him at the same time. That's ultimately the purpose of that version of him. And Mm. I think some people are disappointed in that aspect of it because it means that Wanda does lose him but also doesn't lose him. 
But I also think that what this new entity is will be different enough that it's not going to go down the same lines anyway. Mm. And the fact that the vision that we've been watching that whole time was a construct of Wanda's I found really interesting as well. And the fact that he's a blank slate up until the end where he manages to get his own memories back from the body that was his, in a way, I found interesting as well because he had that whole, I have no idea who I am, I don't remember anything before the hex, the conversation he has with Darcy that fills in the blanks and helps him understand, I found interesting. However, I did have an issue with another thing they abandoned. So there was a suggestion throughout the show that Vision was trapped in an abusive relationship in a way because... Wanda was controlling him, and whenever he called her out on it, she said, I'm just going to keep controlling you, because that's what I'm going to do. And that's something he can't escape. When he tries to escape, it almost tears him apart, and then he gets forced back in anyway. So there was this whole undercurrent of of violation that the show kept bringing up, and then it didn't do anything with it. There should have been another, again, Vision's unique, naive, perhaps, innocent perspective on this whole thing, where he sits Wanda down and says to her at the end, this isn't how healthy people behave. You can't do this again. You can't do this to people. You have to understand that. And it all feeds into, she doesn't really suffer any reckoning for what she's done by the end of the show. And the vision abuse trap type situation is a big part of why she doesn't get that reckoning because he gets his memories back and he's suddenly on her side completely. Well, this is what I was thinking about earlier when I was talking about her kids being the one that would have defeated her as the villain, because it could have been, as you say, with Vision. I mean, he has no consent, as you've said. So he's going through this whole thing without any consent. And so is the rest of the town. And nobody's giving consent here for anything that's going on. And there's your big evil that is going to have to be defeated. And maybe Vision comes up and does what you say, but she's so desperate to keep him. And there's all this trauma that she just has to carry on and effectively remove his free will entirely but what could then potentially get through to her even after she's ended up defeating her own lover these two innocent children come up and say so mommy is it okay to completely remove consent from other people and do whatever you want to their minds and bodies and she has to go oh no it's not (laughs) and it is the innocence of the kids maybe that breaks it and that would have been this really powerful finale that would have as you say used this concept rather than throwing it away laura was even talking about something and i have to credit her for this she was saying that the other possibility with white vision was that what if you in your horrible state of grief were confronted with the very embodiment literally embodiment of your biggest grief your most recent grief who didn't remember you or have any connection to you whatsoever she was saying when she saw that creature she was expecting to be the next one of wanda's tortures Mm. here you can have vision back no you can't and we're just going to horrendously torture you with this now it was a bit close to the end for them to have any time to do that but that would have been more on topic, that would have been a use of white vision that matched with this theme of Wanda's grief going all the way through. But it goes along with what you've said. There is something that is introduced, potential, that could have been, and then discarded because it doesn't match what they actually wanted to do. So there's there's so much promise in the whole Wanda and Vision setup that, well, as you've already said, it is simply discarded. 
Yeah. Kat, what did you think of the whole vision thing, the whole lack of consent and all that stuff? Did you read that into that or is that just some nefarious thing that I plucked out of watching this? I don't know that I thought of it in a conscious way, the way that Aaron and his partner did, but I do recognize it from other media. The idea of I'm going to do something because it helps me, but then not consider how it affects literally anybody else involved in the situation. Right now I'm drawing blanks on examples, but I feel like watching this, we're treading familiar water. I'm not super surprised by what's going on. It does kind of bring into question the idea of, well, okay, you need to sort yourself out and figure out how you're feeling and why, but there's other people involved. I think more so than vision, this was made very clear with the townspeople Mm. and them literally being held hostage and having a very visceral reaction to what's happening to them, but not being able to say so. Whereas Vision, I think, kind of comes to the conclusion that I didn't ask for this, but because he's not aware, it's a different kind of story. But yeah, it is very much an interesting and integral question to the show. Gosh, I want to say I'm trying to think of other pieces of media that have done this. Jessica Jones is probably a good example of it. Yes, thank you. I was trying to think. I was like, is it X-Men? Does this happen in X-Men? No, Jessica Jones. Obviously, in Jessica Jones, it's like super explicit because you have a character who can literally make people do what he wants them to do. And he's controlling them and there's nothing they can do about it. And I want to say it's been done in a more subtle way. And if I remember it, I'll let you know. But right now I'm completely drawing blank. But yeah, it's interesting considering the will of someone like Vision, who is very much a figment that's helping her process her grief, sort of, but he didn't ask to exist, (laughs) slash, is it really him? More so than the consent from Vision's perspective, I was fascinated, as you said, with the uh, Ship of Theseus argument and it being (laughs) absolutely, as Aaron said, the most interesting (laughs) final battle with a boss or, you know, like a villain, an antagonist that we've seen in quite some time. More confrontations like this, please. Let's resolve everything through. (laughs) Thought experiments, yeah. Yeah. So when they started talking about that, I was like, yes, yes. And also, I don't think your vision, because your parts have been scraped and replaced, and you're just not the same. I remember there was a big hullabaloo around Doctor Who, and Rory Pond, (laughs) flashback, I'm going to take you guys back for a minute. (laughs) To whenever Rory Pond was the Roman legionnaire. The plastic Roman legionnaire. Yeah, so a toy brought to life that waited for hundreds of years for Amy and 
I remember just everyone in the Doctor Who fandom being like, but it is Rory. And like, he waited. And I was like, it's not Rory. It's a plastic toy. (laughs) (laughs) But he has his memories. It's Rory. It's not Rory. It's a plastic toy. (laughs) With Rory's memories, yes. But it's not Rory. I cannot just sit here and have you be like oh but it's rory it's like he's a plastic (laughs) just like screaming about it i've had quite a few arguments about this so it really does depend on what your perspective is on identity and on if you replace all the planks is that the same ship i mean it literally isn't you've replaced the planks so Is it, as Vision says, is it the rot that makes the ship what it is? And by removing it, are you removing the identity of the ship? Yeah, but then also I suppose, no, if you're physically the Vision and you don't have the memories, you're still physically the Vision. But identity-wise, you're not. So it's just a very interesting, very cool way to have, because they could not have fought it out. They were very clearly at an impasse with the laser fight and (laughs) physically neither would have beaten the other really so this was the only way it could have played out and hats off because it was actually a very intriguing scene i've seen people on twitter be like what is the ship of theseus and it's like well let let me learn you some things (laughs) here's a wikipedia link so a very on-brand thing for the vision to do there's variations on it as well there's lock socks it's the if you keep mending a pair of socks will they be mm-hmm. the same pair of socks and there's also other things you can bring into it as well where you talk about human beings as mm-hmm. our cells are completely refreshed every so often so on a cellular level we're not the same people are we still yeah. the same people i guess mm-hmm. that's that rebirth type situation are we the same people year to year are we the same people day to day even so There's all that to factor in, especially when Mm -hmm. Wanda's over there accepting her identity in some way to an extent, although that's confusing in and of itself. But I do think that when we see Vision again, and we will, White Vision, whatever he's going to call himself, he won't necessarily be going to try and reconcile with Wanda in any way. I think he'll become something new. Yeah. Or new enough. Yeah, whatever he ends up becoming in terms of a character, my partner was like, way to go giving Paul Bettany more work. <laughs> Poor guy started off just doing some audio bits and now he's, I mean, you know, it's great money, so whatever. And they found interesting things to do with him and interesting ways to bring him in. It'll be very fascinating to see whether his and Wanda's relationship, how that evolves through whatever next iteration will they get to know each other again because he's accessed those memories now but what does that mean for this new vision's personality is he going to be the same personality wise or is he going to have to reconcile whatever this new programming has made him and who he used to be objectively having had a look through all of his memories. There's certainly conversations to be had about that. And it will be interesting to see what they come up with and how Wanda will relate to him as well. Yeah, for sure. The last thing really for discussion is Agatha. I was really disappointed in how that ended up because she did have the potential to be a really interesting villain. There was the suggestion that she was kind of a good person who was also dealing with addiction to power And what she did to her coven was an accident. 
she didn't really mean to absorb the power and became sort of obsessed, addicted to receiving more power. But then she was just a cackling, scenery-chewing villain in the last episode after that, so it was almost meaningless at that point. And you have her talking about the prophecy of the Scarlet Witch, which doesn't tell you anything about what that prophecy is or what it means or how that relates to anybody. Was she trying to turn herself into the Scarlet Witch? Was she afraid of it? What was going on? And Wanda obviously accepting that role. There wasn't enough to suggest that it was something she needed to accept. So they really had something there for a while with Agatha that they abandoned almost immediately. I was disappointed, for sure. I think Catherine Han was great in the role. And I really liked teasing that she was behind stuff throughout the show. But ultimately, by the end, there was some promise there that just wasn't quite realised. Or wasn't at all realised. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I was about to completely disagree, so whoever won, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, okay. Do you want to just join in with Craig and then I'll attempt to rebut afterwards? Yeah, let's do that. You'll disagree after that? Okay. I completely agree with you, Craig. So I love Agatha conceptually as a character. I just feel like we were promised a certain narrative about her. She's presented as this mega bad witch. She was the witch at Salem. <laughs> yeah. So that gives you an idea. It's about to <laughs> get serious here. And I don't know. I read her absorbing the other witch's powers, her coven's powers, including her mother. I read that as very intentional. But somehow through the whole, oh, it was Agatha all along. No way. Actually, she also doesn't know what's happening. It was just kind of a letdown and a bit of a let's make her into more of a typical villain in what you would expect here and have them fight with magic balls up in the air, <laughs> throwing lightning at each other or something in a kind of typical MCU takedown at the end. Yeah, it was a little bit like, oh man, like I feel like you were going somewhere and then you just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's still potential for that character and I hope we see her again because she was awesome. And I love that we got Catherine Hahn to be the evil witch. Yes, that was brilliant <laughs> casting. Thank you very much. Definitely hope we will see more of her and see just something a little more well-rounded. I just feel like we kind of scratched the surface on this character and didn't really get a full picture more than just what was convenient here. I actually thought they were heading down the cerebral route at a point with her as well. So they'd done the, we're throwing magical bolts at each other and that's not working part up to that point. And then you had the bit where Wanda goes into her memory. She does that grudge style movement. I mean, as in the film, the grudge, you know, the, the missing frames, creepy, ghosty movement thing. And then she oh, yeah. whammies her like she does with the Avengers in Age of Ultron. And then suddenly they're in the Salem memory. And I was like, all right, here we go. Here's where we're going to dig into what these people are all about. Here's where Agatha's going to talk about her history and her addiction to magic or whatever. And here's how Wanda's going to internalise her views on maybe her addiction to her powers or what could be perceived as her addiction to her powers. I don't know, because they didn't do it. They didn't give us that scene. It was just a moment so that the zombie witches in the memory could point the finger at Wanda and say that she's the Scarlet Witch and that was it. So that was a real missed opportunity there. And that was the time to do it, especially when Vision and Vision were over there having a philosophical debate 
it just seemed like those two things would marry up quite nicely. The resolution as well, locking Agatha inside the Agnes persona, letting her live in that living hell that is the lack of consent. Did she deserve it? We don't know because we don't know enough about her. But also it's Wanda just not learning anything as well because she's doing that. And I imagine that S.W.O.R.D. are going to lock her up in some Truman Show style situation where she thinks she's living in a normal life because they know what she is. So I don't think this is the end of Agatha. We'll definitely see her again, just in what capacity, I don't know. But a few opportunities there and they just didn't take them. Again, setting up stuff and just abandoning it, which is a shame. So, Aaron, you can enter the fray with your disagreeing. Enter the fray with disagreement. Okay. Well, I won't do 100% disagree. I'll just say what I did like. I'm not going to challenge anything you've said about Catherine Hahn's portrayal because what was given to her was very well done. And I also would agree with the use of Agatha in Wanda's memories. That had purpose, that had relevance, and it was something I wanted to watch. So I put those two things in as stuff what I liked about Agatha Harkness. Everything else, I think I want to label as I got nothing from it and I don't see why it was there and I don't think it was very well done. And to explain a few of those things, then I think I would have moved her entire backstory to another series, series two. Keep her as a long-term villain and just ditch her. Because what relevance was that backstory to Wanda's setup? I mean, it shows something on addiction, but Wanda's story is not addiction. So where is it? It is consistent within itself. It's not relevant. I don't need it. She could have been given a lot more time to wander through Wanda's hex world throughout all of the episodes if they'd have ditched S.W.O.R.D. entirely. So if S.W.O.R.D. is one-dimensional, get rid of it. I think Agatha is presented as two-dimensional. She's still not a real character for me. She's still a total stereotype, but she could have been more. And I would have just had her as this malevolent presence throughout. And why is she doing it? It's enough for her to simply want Wanda's powers. I don't need to see her backstory to know that she is a jealous person who wants to be infinitely powerful and she thinks she can take it. And then we could have seen her backstory as to why she wants that in in series two or three. Just keep her as a long-term villain. So we lost a lot of time to something that I didn't get anything out of at all. And therefore, time could have been used for greater development. I think it holds for the Scarlet Witch too, because... At the end, when we see the really stereotypical cackling laughter go into, that means you are, pause for effect, the Scarlet Witch. And I can imagine what everybody in the writing team wanted from that moment. They wanted the Martian rover landing. Yes, we've done it. We've got the name (laughs) in. We managed to get it. Disney managed to buy it. And there it is. We got it. And I was thinking, well, Good grief. Most of this has come across as a bit ham-fisted, but that was really a leg of pig in the face. I didn't need that at all to get that name in. It served no purpose. Sorry, a leg of pig in the face? 
all this like ham fisted punching <laughs> me with that. Okay. I'm desperate here, you know. I'm trying to convey my emotions. With I thought you were something. referencing some kind of '60s sitcom running joke or something. I don't know. Probably, <laughs> I've no idea. But ditch that then, cut that out. The point is, in summary, I think the character is given was two dimensional at best. She's a stereotypical witch that we've been given to us as kids you remember when you were a kid and it was halloween and you had to draw the woman in black with the conical black hat and she had to have the broom to ride up they should have given agatha a broom (laughs) i don't know why they didn't because that's what she was and i can honestly see and i haven't looked into this because i don't think i want to see the wall of hate but i can honestly think that the internet was alive with people from the wicca religion saying oh my God, that was deeply insulting. I can honestly see people who have got connected to the powers from Romany descent being on the internet saying, I cannot believe you use that stereotype. That is deeply insulting. Everything about that character was just, can you take one of these children's cutouts from what a witch is and make it come to life? And That's such a shame, given that you spent time building a backstory for her so she could become more than just a silhouette of a, quote, witch. But then you didn't do it. I don't understand really why she just couldn't have been a malevolent force who just knows about magic, who went round, who seemed to be immune to wonder, who constantly had to hide. Every time she was looking under a blanket or round the corner, trying to sneak into the house, trying to talk to the kids, and she could have been just about discovered that she'd broken the hex. That was from one's perspective. She was never under the hex. And she quickly has to cover it up with a fast line, a clever bit of dialogue, so she doesn't get found out and blasted. And I think that would have been a real mystery. And the fact that you don't know who she is actually adds to that mystery, knowing that she's great big power sink really didn't add anything to the mystery at all so definitely not as cardboard as Haywood because who could be but (laughs) she was still a bit of a cardboard cutout for me and I really want to emphasize I don't believe that anything was wrong with the delivery completely agree what was delivered was delivered really well but I was thinking surely the writers could have given us something better than that stereotype and I can picture the director going Okay, more acting, more, more acting. Keep putting more in, laugh louder. No, stop it. What are you doing that for? You could have a really interesting character, but you're forcing down the line of these stereotypes. So I wanted to like this character, but don't feel like I could because they didn't take any of these interesting angles. Like you say, sometimes they take something in a direction and then drop it. So the manipulation of Wanda moving into Wanda's literal memories, that's a great direction to go in with this manipulative woman in the background really starting to take control i think it needed to be agatha all along i mean as cat says it wasn't so why bother but it didn't need to be that because it could have just been and agatha takes more and more control as you go along maybe she's even building a long-term spell it's a less catchy song though isn't it it is a less catchy song i admit that but it would have been better than there's four runes by the way turn to camera exposition i would have been more persuaded by something of do you know if i'm going to build a spell to take control of wanda's hex it's probably going to take me the best part of one or two months to take control of wanda's powers but i've done it 
It took me the 60s, the 50s, the 70s, the 80s, not the 90s, because it didn't do it, but the 2000s. It took me all of those episodes to get control of you, but I got you. And you'd be, oh, my God, she's taken control. That's awful. How is Wanda going to get control back now that this magic has been woven into? But instead, it was four runes around a wall. That's it. It's a simple spell, Wanda. Why don't you know it? Oh, well, I do, because it's that simple. What? It's a simple spell to take control of a Scarlet Witch, which is the source of all chaos magic? If she can be brought down by a simple witch's apprentice, we're screwed. Next time Thanos comes around, he's just going to say, wait, I need some chalk. <laughs> right, I'm fine. You'll, you lose. Because yeah. uh, I've, I've just managed to master basic witchcraft, apparently. So, so that's, that's it. Well, he doesn't need the chalk. He has the infinity gauntlet. He could conjure up some runes. I don't know that that would have worked. No, but it's a brief study into magic would have been enough to defeat Wanda, apparently. Because Agatha <laughs> says it's a simple spell. Now, maybe it was her ego saying that just to prove her point. But I still don't think that any of this, because that magic is exposition, because it's not in throughout, because it's just chucked on the end... None of this development gets a chance to occur. I think, yeah, ditch sword, ditch all of that, build Agatha throughout the whole series, make her into a less stereotypical witch, and you would have given Catherine Hahn something to really make you afraid. That character would have been something that you'd have been, if you heard Catherine Hahn's voice, you'd been looking over your shoulder because you, she's so terrifying. But this character was not terrifying in any way, and they kind of really wanted her to be especially when you did the whole um, Wizard of Oz, her boots under the car. Hang on a minute. You're trying to tell me that I should think of this character as a comedy witch. Why do you want me to associate her with weird comedy stereotypical witches from old stories? Why would you do that? No, I want to be scared of this person. I want to think that she could be in league with Mephisto or some ultimate evil that I don't need spelled out. Didn't get any of that. Yeah, we just got this this simple, I, I remember the thing you told me from one episode ago and, and I defeat you and, and, and that's it. I've got red, you've got purple, as you say, that's all it is. So no power to the character. Power to the acting, I will grant you that, but no power to the character, I don't think. Yeah, and her identity was kind of that worst-kept secret thing as well. People were theorising that she was Agatha Harkness since the first trailer. And they did some misdirection with Dottie by casting Emma Caulfield, who is well-known in sort of the fantasy sci-fi realm from Buffy and stuff, and she ultimately has no major role, but apparently her casting was a deliberate red herring. It was to make her appear more attention to her than we needed to. So, yeah, okay, another meta thing that they've done. Fair enough. Stunt casting, once again, well done on that one. But it was well theorised. So by the time that she said her real name, it wasn't a surprise. Certainly not to me. Although equally it could have just been like other MCU villains, Agnes is Agatha Harkness, in that she shares a lot of the same traits that you would identify from the comics, but she's this also slightly different thing. But also there was the... Like I said early on on the the other podcast I was doing, and funnily enough, that's exactly what happens. I hope it doesn't get to a point where she emerges from somewhere and says, my name is Agatha. And that's exactly what happens, because I equate that to the Into Darkness can reveal. Because you as the audience, if you haven't read the comics, have no idea who this person is. Because the show hasn't given you context for it. Although it does after the fact. You get a bit of background into her. Whereas in Star Trek Into Darkness, they give you no background and it can. So it could be anybody. It doesn't matter. And I'll take any opportunity to give that awful film a kick in. So I'm just doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. I hate Star Trek Into Darkness, so it's getting a kick in. But they did that kind of my name is reveal better than that because they give you enough context of who she is to go with it. 
after that point. So her name's Agatha Harkness. Why is that important? She's been hiding from Wanda all this time. She's wanting her powers. Her backstory is this, etc, etc, etc. I mean, it doesn't give you enough of that in terms of making her more interesting, but it gives you what you need to make the name mean something, at least on some level. So... There was a bit of that. Everyone was looking at Agatha or Agnes throughout the whole show, thinking, who are you? And are you behind everything? Turns out not. But I do agree with you that they either should have fully committed to this whole thing or not. And Wanda's limitless power being defeated by some simple drawings is quite funny, in a way. But the whole, you don't know what you're doing. You have all this power and you just have no idea what you're doing with it. You conjured up this reality without even realising that you were doing it. You've got magic running on autopilot. How is this happening? How the hell are you doing it? And then it turns out she knew all along because it's the Scarlet Witch. So why are you questioning that in the first place? I guess her working theory at the beginning should have been, is she the Scarlet Witch? This prophesied figure that we're all afraid of for some reason. She does have Scarlet magic. It was a bit of a clue. Yeah, red bolts, yeah. It's weird. But her lack of knowledge, and I guess she'll become even more dangerous when she gets that knowledge, which she's now getting from the Darkhold, which is a book that showed up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, although it looked considerably cheaper (laughs) than it did here. The way I think about it is, you know, when you're at school, way back in in the old school days, when you're given your books at the start of the year and you're asked to cover them, looks a bit like that. You've just found bits from a magazine to cover this book in. But it's the same book, or maybe it's not, because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., how is it canon? Is it anymore? Who knows? And frankly, who cares, I suppose, at this point, but that's that. I think if it's the source of chaos, it's allowed to change shape. I wouldn't worry about that one. That wouldn't bother me too much. Yeah, it's not really a book, is it? It's a, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's just me as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. It's like, oh, cool. I've heard of that before. Nice. Well played. <laughs> I think that, that, as you said, that's quite interesting where Agatha is trying to figure out what's going on here. That was a very interesting concept plot line that's the one i wanted to see brought out then i would have liked her to have been trying to figure out wonder from the start as the nosy neighbor yeah trying to get closer and closer and closer and then maybe she figures there's something to do with the scarlet because yeah how can you miss that but that reveal which i actually missed utterly completely i saw on the internet afterwards that there's a hint in there that wonder is a witch right from the beginning and it's the Mind Stone that enhances that existing power. And then you get and maybe Agatha realising that, oh, this is what's going on. And this is how you brought all these components together to become the force from prophecy. Ah, oh, now I understand it. Maybe that even helps me take control of you. That whole thing, such a good idea, feels like it could have been a much bigger and much more interesting plot line throughout than was used but no time because sword see previous arguments so you missed it because they didn't give it enough attention that's why you missed it the whole idea of this was within you all along and i picked up on it but i also remember way back when they cast wanda or when they said they were introducing wanda and pietro in age of ultron and they started looking down the lines of them being in humans instead of mutants because in the comics they're mutants and we can't because of contractual stuff, because they were Avengers, we can use them, but we can't make them mutants. So what's our other option? Inhumans. And humans are basically the same as mutants. The only difference is they have potential that needs to be unlocked through a process. So that's the idea they were going with. Wanda and Pietro are inhumans, and the Hydra experiments unlock that 
innate potential within them to have these powers. And then after that, they were going to introduce humans to the MCU, etc., which they did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think you may have watched it far enough for that to happen yes. with Daisy and so on. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, and it was so cool. It was so cool. I had so many yeah. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did the Inhumans TV series with Anson Mount as Black Bolt, which was awful. And that kiboshed that plan. There was an Inhumans film at one point that never materialised and it became that TV show that is honestly unwatchably bad. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. owned Inhumans exclusively from that point on. And they abandoned the idea. And now that I guess it's this idea that Wanda is this magical being who had this power all along and somehow the Infinity Stone unlocked it. And that that explains why she can do anything. doesn't really explain Pietro that much, but we don't care at this point, I suppose. <laughs> Brutal, but maybe. Yeah, why does he have his speed powers? Nah, who cares? That's the answer. Who cares? Because we're never going to reference him ever again, probably. Yikes, but also true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I picked up probably more on the whole innate power being unlocked thing than you did because the show doesn't do enough to tell you about that it just kind of suggests it as a thing and then she has that vision of the scarlet witch when the mind stone unlocks that within her i guess it's almost her embracing who she is or what she is and then by the end she embraces it completely but again you don't have enough idea of why she should embrace it and now i know how to use the runes i have an eidetic memory and remembered exactly what they look like and was able to project them on the, the walls of the hex. And now you're trapped, Agatha. So, yeah, nuts to you. I think the issue with Agatha kind of extends to the rest of the show. The show tries to do a few things at the same time. And kind of, as I mentioned in my spoiler-free take, some of it works and some of it doesn't. They're trying to incorporate stuff that they've recently acquired and are able to incorporate. They're trying to build up connections to future projects that are coming up. They're also obviously giving us a full-blown character-driven introspective thing about grief and the damage that such consistent trauma can do to a person. All of that, you know, it's doing a lot of things. And then it's not as in-depth as it could, perhaps due to length, perhaps due to just storytelling shortcomings of like, oh, well, you know, we'll do this and tease a mystery and then resolve it and say, haha, it wasn't that. So I feel like that's kind of the core issue. I will agree. She's not perfect in any way, shape or form. And it's kind of sad because I wanted a lot from her when that first reveal was teased that she was something else. It's ambitious <laughs> and perhaps it doesn't fully materialize its ambition on every level. It certainly is true of the Agatha character. Yeah. And that's okay. I want to say as with any art I applaud that they did something different. Ultimately, as much as a lot of it did speak to the comic book fans and to the MCU diehards, and it does kind of serve as a link between the films that have come before and everything else that's coming after, but also it took the time to be a little irreverent and not necessarily to alienate those fans, but just kind of, we're not just going to make this for you. We're also going to try and have some fun and be creative with something that you haven't 
seen before, you're not going to be used to this tone. And I think that's commendable. It's commendable anytime, especially, I suppose, right now, in this day and age of franchises and remakes and reboots and all the rest of it, to have something that's A, operating within those boundaries, but B, trying a little harder to be something else. I'll always have space for projects like that, even if they're not perfect. They're not going to be perfect. At the end of the day, because it's trying to operate within these boundaries of the franchise, as enormous as it is, the boundaries exist, much like the hex. You can only move within those walls. And so it was never going to be not a Marvel thing. We were never going to have something that didn't ultimately involve a shady government agency and or a villain baddie with superpowers and everything that that entails. We were always going to have that. It's a Marvel thing, which is why, like I said in my spoiler-free thing, it was what I expected. I expected it to kind of involve those elements. But the fact that I would say 70% of it was ambitious adventurous and actually quite new from everything else we've seen in the MCU. Yeah, so I'll always have time and space for that sort of thing. Yeah, they were never going to give us Legion. Hey, Aaron, Legion. Had to get that in there. (laughs) But it's the closest analogue, isn't it? This is as close as Marvel will ever get to that kind of subversiveness. Because if you watch Legion, Kat, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It is mental. From start to finish. I have not, no. Mm. It's completely mental. And we did coverage of pretty much every episode on this podcast. It's the only sort of, not weekly, but almost bi-weekly or every three weeks coverage. We did weekly in the first season and it almost killed us. So we had to split (laughs) it up a bit for the the following season. WandaVision was never going to be that because you have to appeal to that mass market audience of Marvel fans. That's the fact of the matter, but the fact that they tried something different. And it was interesting to see how some people were reacting to it. I don't spend any time on social media, really, but the amount of people that were coming out and saying, why is this weekly? Why aren't we getting it all at once? Why am I being made to wait for the next thing? And that's how television used to work and still does in a lot of cases. Have you been so spoiled by Stranger Things on Netflix or whatever? I much prefer the weekly approach because, one, it's easier to write about if I'm wanting to cover it and write about it, because a full season review, I did that once with Daredevil and never did it again because it was horrible to just try and put something together of that scale. And it's just fun to sit there and think about what's happening. And as you said earlier, Kat, appointment viewing. Every Friday, I'm going to sit down and watch WandaVision for eight weeks. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier every Friday for six weeks. And I like that. I much prefer the weekly release of television. That's much more appealing to me. And the fact that we could sit and stew on the Pietro cliffhanger for a week before finding essentially nothing out the following week is great because it gives you something to just sit and wait on. Whereas if it was like the Daredevil release, for example, releases on Disney Plus on one day, you get the Pietro reveal and then oh, I'm going to find out about this in like five minutes I'll go to the bathroom get a drink and then I'll watch the next episode that's less appealing to me in general yeah I completely agree with that so audiences chill out just let it happen wait for it to happen enjoy the suspense have you <laughs> I think we've been spoiled in the last decade really there's been a lot of chat online about the shift from 
watching something when something is on as opposed to when I feel like it or when I want to. There was a time you would sit down and watch two shows that you didn't necessarily love, but they were sandwiched in between two shows that you do love. And so you would just sit there and watch the whole thing. And sometimes, you know, you might discover something you do like in that gap. But overall, can we remember a time recently where we've had to do that? We've been spoiled for choice. And everything is kind of instantly available. Here's an entire season of Stranger Things. Boom. And so you're like, great. Okay, I will consume this 10 hours of TV immediately and not take breaks. And that's that. So having that kind of forced break. I mean, Amazon did it first with American Gods and Mm. Preacher, I think. Which at the time I found a bit annoying because... I would forget what happened (laughs) because both those shows are quite dense. But also from a business standpoint, it helps keep the show in the sphere of conversation for much longer than if they just dropped the whole thing. Keeps you subscribed for longer. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't necessarily talk about WandaVision 8 weeks down the line from when it dropped. No, It's very much, well, okay, we all watched it. We had some thoughts, maybe talk about it for a week or two and on to the next thing. But this way, it keeps it fresh in our minds. And as you say, the speculation and all of that is fun. But then also just having the time to sit with something, perhaps not this particular show, but just in every case, having that week to think about the latest plot developments and what that means for the characters and how it made you feel and all of that. And then moving on to the next episode in a timely fashion. I can't find anything wrong with it. The last show that I did this with was The Expanse, which is also an Amazon show. Always be plug in, listen to The Expanse podcast. If it's out before this one, which it might not <laughs> If be. it's out before this one, otherwise look out for The Expanse <laughs> podcast. We recorded a season five behemoth, which is a joke because there's a ship called the behemoth. So, <laughs> But yeah, The Expanse did that and it absolutely worked in its favor every episode felt explosive brilliant because it's oh wow i didn't know what to expect and now i have to wait for another week to see what will happen with all these (laughs) developments and yeah honestly it's fine yeah as you say like chill out (laughs) y'all just chill out a little bit it's okay you can wait a week (laughs) yeah thing is this is broadly how i still consume television because the DC superhero shows that I watch, for example, they're weekly. They're network shows, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today, as of recording, I've watched Superman and Lois, which is a show that I absolutely love. It's hit the ground running. It's amazing. And the third episode is over and I want more. But the point is, I want more. I have to wait, but I want more. And I like that looking forward to it next week feeling rather than the, oh, well, well, that was that was a big bag of popcorn, wasn't it? I've, I've eaten it now. Now it's going to be digested shortly and that'll be the end of it and I'll probably never think about it again. And mm. you, can, you can't talk to people as easily about some of these things because I've had it where I've gone to work or whatever and asked someone or someone has asked me, have you seen this thing that dropped on Netflix recently? And I was like, yeah, I'm on episode three or, or something. And they'll be like, okay, I've seen it all. And then that's the end of the conversation because they don't remember what episode three was. There's not enough delineation between the episodes for you to pick up on that if you've yeah. watched it like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody will be different. But I think 
saying it's a bad show because they chose to release it weekly is harsh, if that's what people were saying, which I think definitely somewhere. Also, people talking about the running time and how long the credits were. That's not relevant. Let's not <laughs> get into yeah, that. Why? Yeah. <laughs> My partner and I were like, wow, six minute credits. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, don't watch them. It's fine. You know? <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Like you can you can turn that off if you want. Yeah, or fast forward to see if there's a scene. Yeah. Exactly. It was interesting seeing mid-credits and post-credits scenes in a TV series. Late on though. Yeah. <laughs> Very on brand. <laughs> Aaron, what's your view on the whole consumption of television weekly versus bulk release? No, oh, undoubtedly the same as you've said. I like to be able to anticipate between the episodes. So that makes the choice for me, really. Yeah, unless it's all the shows that you're weeks behind on and you've got catching up to do and then you end up binging it anyway. Well, you can choose to do it that way, yeah. but it adds to the anticipation. It says if there's a date, you wait for that date and then you probably watch on that date. So it makes a thing of it and it yeah. it gives you time to digest it. And well, as I say, everything you already said, I, I agree with. I prefer it that way. Someone told me they went on Twitter after the Pietro reveal episode, or not after it, but in the UK it appeared at 8 in the morning, and they were on Twitter before 9am, and already trending were things like Pietro, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, X-Men, chill out people, give people an hour to watch it for God's sake. Well, yeah. th- there hasn't been enough time for you to watch this more than once and you're already online just spoiling it for everyone. I don't think you can stop the internet now. No, it's just one of those things, I suppose. No, I got into a habit of muting WandaVision on Twitter for 24 hours because I watch it with my partner and I would always go to their place to watch it and usually it'd be in the evening on Friday. And the very least you can do is mute the things. You can't mute the trending topics, which is annoying. Because, yeah, you see them on the right-hand side and they're taunting you. And it's just like, I can't watch it until 8pm tonight. Can you not? (laughs) (laughs) Why is Evan Peters, Um, Quicksilver, Pietro, WandaVision trending at the same time? Luckily, I didn't see anything of the sort when that episode was airing. But... Yeah, especially towards the last couple of episodes, people were just very trigger happy with their keyboards. So Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on that note we should probably wrap up. So Kat, give us your final statements on One Division. Since the discourse has moved on, we'll never talk about it again, ever again. <laughs> so what's your final say, final statement on this whole thing? Well, final thought, I really liked this show and I didn't expect to. It's not perfect, but it was interesting. And at this point, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm kind of excited to see where the other Marvel shows will go. We got a premiere date for Loki, which we've been looking forward to for a few years now. (laughs) So I'm glad to actually get to see that soon. And obviously Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is coming up in a couple weeks at the time of recording. Actually, no. End of next week or this week? Next week as of time of recording. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So very, very looking forward to seeing what they're going to give us with these new TV shows. As I've mentioned in a few other podcast episodes, I'm a little just like exhausted (laughs) from a lot of the Disney machine, if you will. As always... I'm open to 
things that are new and interesting and have something to say. But I also have my reservations that a lot of what's coming on the Disney slate, whether that's Marvel stuff or Star Wars stuff or whatever, that it won't have enough to say. But I guess we'll see. I'm keeping the door ajar, so to speak. Cool. Aaron, your final statement. I really wanted to love this show to pieces because of the promise of the bending genre to something else. And to be fair, I really did enjoy Less It Come Side. And I did love the wonder and vision pairing, what they did with them, the emotional side of all of that. I didn't get anything out of the Marvel true-to-form stuff, which is a shame because it is a Marvel show. I personally would say that I would really want them to commit to the new genre and have done sitcoms all the way through. However, I do bow to Kat's wisdom that that is not possible. It's a Marvel show and it has to be a Marvel show. So I could never have the full thing that I wanted but I acknowledge why. I think it's a shame still though because what was offered was really good and really promising so it's almost like oh you could have this and then it feels like it was taken away a bit and I think the show if it had completely committed to the sitcom style could have been a standalone piece of work that would be something I would go back to again and again and watch over and over and enjoy finding all those extra little Easter eggs that you only see on the fourth and fifth watch through. But it couldn't be a standalone show. It had to be a Marvel show. And I do think that prevented it from being this brilliant piece done in a new fantasy genre. But, yeah, I say I have to bow to that wisdom to say that it it couldn't be that. And I I do think that's a shame because I think there was something amazing on offer that was still good. But I really wanted to see that new thing. I don't know if in the future, once there is a Marvel show on every channel, in every cinema, in every second of every world, (laughs) because they've got 50 TV shows and 100 films a year, then I will be able to see that. But equally, maybe this fad will have vanished by then and I never will so I did enjoy the show and I do want to see more of this style of thing and if they could just tweak it a bit more so I can get a bit more of the new and a bit less of the Marvel I will be even happier cool my final thing is I loved this show for the most part there was a lot of it I really enjoyed a lot of it I really liked a lot of it I really enjoyed thinking about speculating about etc I love the character work as I said earlier, Wanda's grief-stricken journey really went for me in some places, and that's something that's kind of rare, especially for something of this type, I suppose, although maybe it happens more often than I let on, I guess. Maybe I'll bring it up in other podcasts if it happens again. You'll find out if you keep listening. But I enjoyed this a great deal. I think it didn't stick the landing at the end, which is a shame, but I also don't think the ending that I didn't like invalidates everything that it did before that it was good. I'm able to see it for what it was, a thing that I enjoyed most of the way through that didn't quite work for me in the end. But I like seeing some of the other characters as well. Monica's a good introduction. Looking forward to seeing more of her. I like Darcy and Jimmy, especially Jimmy with his little magic act. Wanda doesn't know how to use her magic, but Jimmy does. He's learned. He learned from Scott Lang. So good for him. That's growth. That's genuine growth. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Love Marvel stuff. I'm amped for everything that they've got coming. I think Falcon and Winter Soldier will be a bit more of a traditional take 
on a Marvel property. And that's why it was originally supposed to come first, I think, to ease people into this sort of era of television that they're making. But pretty happy with this overall. And I look forward to seeing Wanda in particular turn up in future stuff. I think she's a really interesting character made far more interesting by this show. So we'll see how that all pans out. On that note, we should wrap up. It's been a long discussion, but a good discussion, I would say. So... Kat, thank you for coming over and wowing us with your understanding of Greek philosophy. It was necessary. We needed it. Ευχαριστώ, παρακαλώ. Καλημέρα, καληνότσες. What does that mean for this? We don't have subtitles. So. Well, half of it is a quote from Xena the Warrior Princess. <laughs> where they just used words that don't exist in conjunction with words that do exist as part of some kind of ritual thing. It's hilarious. Link in the show notes. But yeah, if Haristo means thank you, Parakalo means you're welcome, and the rest of it is nonsense. It's gibberish. Cool. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for explaining that. And thank you for being here to discuss this first MCU television show that's not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you for having me. And Aaron, thank you for visiting in your capacity as Android, looking to understand Marvel things. Bye, honey. See you tonight. So that was our WandaVision discussion. I want to say a big thank you to YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And I want to say a big thank you to Isaac for drawing the artwork for this episode. He did an amazing job. It's got Neil being... Neil is our mascot's name, by the way, in case listeners don't know that. He's being possessed by... Wanda's sitcom energy and is stuck in a sitcom. So that's the point of that drawing. So thanks, Isaac, our in-house artist who's slaving away making banners for podcast episodes in the future. And if you want to talk to us about WandaVision, Marvel, Falcon and Winter Soldier, anything really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can just leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. We will see it and engage with it. Please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything really. Anywhere you get your podcast, you'll get this. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a star rating and a comment. And as always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. Hey.